Yeah, you cut the sleeves off of that? Uh, I well, they they tore off basically years ago. I've had this shirt since I was like sixteen, and it is just a. You want to talk about a Swiss cheese shirt? Can you see this? <laughs> it is just, it is just tear after tear. It is just like, like look at that. It is just. Why do you have it? I don't know why. I seem to have like it's not even presentable to wear under like collared shirts. The collar's all tattered too. Oh, wait do you see? Look at the bottom. Like it just like strands just hang off the bottom. Why do you have the shirt still? Uh, I don't know. I just use it as like an undershirt for the gym, like under hoodies and stuff. Uh, I seem to have misplaced a lot of my white undershirts. I don't know what the hell happened. So I just well, that shirt's not going to catch any sweat because it's covered in holes. <laughs> yeah, it basically soaks right through to my hoodie. <laughs> I have no idea why that shirt exists in your repertoire. Just another one of yeah. life's one of life's great mysteries, Ted. <laughs> you look like you, you look like kind of like a kind of a gym one of those gym bullies. Yeah, the guy who's like straining the vein in his forehead as he's trying to lift four hundred pound kettlebells. Yeah, yeah. And like one person's trying to do an exercise, and the guy's like, "Bruh, you're not doing that right, bruh, bruh." Get out of my gym, bro. How about those freak shows? How about those freak shows that show up in jeans? <laughs> Just like power lift the entire time. Well, actually, I was kind of chums with a guy at my old gym like that. Did uh, you ask him why the jeans? I don't know. I think he was like a night clerk at, a, at like a Walmart or something. So he'd always be coming off of his shift, uh, I think. And I don't know. He just... I guess he never did cardio, so I guess like you don't need cardio if all you're doing is lifting, right? So I mean, guy sounds like he kind of sounds like Mac on "It's Always Sunny." How he's just like, yeah. gotta get my crunch on, bro. <laughs> Although it's weird, he's actually like a really smart guy. Like he writes like poetry. He has a couple of published like poetry wow. books, uh, and yeah, it's it's weird. He's an interesting guy. You like, figure with uh, all that poetry money, he could afford a pair of sweatpants. <laughs> He would, like, once in a blue moon, he would wear gym shorts. It was just, like, 90% of the time he was jeans. But they weren't, like, like, a lot of those gym bras were, like, tight jeans. This guy would wear kind of, like, baggy, so he actually had, like, room to maneuver. I remember the most annoying character I ever had to encounter at a gym was this guy. And he was always there when I would work out in Perry Sound. It turned out he was actually on, like, the town council and ran for mayor once. Okay. Which drove me crazy. But this guy would show up in about a million layers. He kind of looked like he could be in Bare Naked Ladies or a, a cast member of Kids in the Hall. He had that real, like, ni- early, early 90s, you know, the glasses, the, you know. Okay. Yeah, I got that it. real, like, Toronto look of the <laughs> early 90s to him. And as he'd work out, he would just leave his clothes around the gym as he'd remove layers. I'm an asshole. Yeah, he'd have his little stupid bandana on and he'd just lose clothes and he'd be on the phone talking to people real loud and he'd do these wild like stretches of his arms and he'd walk up and look like he was ghost stepping through the fucking uh, cardio machines. He took up so much space. Did I ever tell you drove me crazy. When we were in high school, uh, I was working out at the gym like it was like a night workout, so it was like probably like eight nine o'clock, and I saw Colin McCusker, Adrian Phillips, and I think Craig might have been there, but it might have been a third. Oh, no, it was Blair. It was Blair Casey. 
and those guys were working out in a group and like you know do you remember the old gym house it's like that perfect circle of like all those like machines yeah they were kind of doing that circuit and i was just standing over there chatting while like i think it was colin was doing the leg curls or something just kind of watching just making idle chit chat because i knew them so i thought it was all right and then adrian turns to me he goes what are we friends what are you doing here <laughs> i was like all right thanks fuck face yeah. now he's left and then one time he got mad at me because I didn't acknowledge him when he was trying to talk to me. The nerve of that guy. Yeah. Yeah. This is, so, and then Jake Jake gets, uh, he's like, why do you always hold such a grudge against people from high school? It's like, yeah. I mean, most of them were all right. I mean, the ones that I actually talked to. But you get like dickheads like that. and it's People just like, change over time. I guess. It has been like a long time. Yeah, next year will be 20 years. Jesus. You know what's bugging me? How come they had no one from our high? We haven't gotten Facebook messages from anyone from our high school inviting us to any reunion. I, mean, I want like I, I literally what I want to do is I want to get schmammered yeah. at this party, assuming it's in the high school because if it's at some banquet hall, it's going to be a big ripoff. And I want to pull a John Mayer there and run through the halls of my high school and scream at the top of my lungs. See, I I pegged you as more of like a uh, dentist, just going like I was a golden cod. <laughs> I, I have I have enough self awareness to know that I was not a golden god. <laughs> yes. Um, Maybe the golden god laughs. But uh, we were laughing yeah, at you, land. not with you. Uh, actually, that's a pretty good insult. Um, <laughs> but no, the reason why the, the the anniversaries are such more prevalent in the states than they are here yeah. is I don't know. Most people don't flock that far away. You know what I mean? Like. Do you get a couple of people that we know that moved down east, out west, uh, you know, Brent's down in Florida? I'm uh, 19 hours away. <laughs> you're still in the country. <laughs> but what I'm what I'm saying is like, okay, you're that's you're one of the few exceptions, but a lot of people for the most part are probably within the GTA, the greater Hamilton area, uh, or like, I don't know, maybe they flew to Vancouver or something. But on the whole, like you look at the states, so many people go everywhere for college, right? That they leave their yeah. hometown, and most most of the time they settle out where they went to college, uh, you know, or they move somewhere else. They don't come back home to work or something like that. So, the, you know, the time honored tradition of coming home, where it all started, is a bit more prevalent there. Ah, still. Maybe I'm just talking out of my ass. I don't know. It'd be fun. I crashed with my parents, and I could walk to the high school and back. I wouldn't need a. Wouldn't need a DD. The um, Jake told me they did nice. like a thing a couple of years back for, but it was like a kind of all encompassing. Like if you graduated around this time, you can come back. Yeah, but... yeah, that doesn't count. It was yeah. the anniversary of the high school. It was the high school's like 100th. Oh, birthday is that what it was? Like oh, okay. That. So you're just there with other people who went to the high school at some point in time. That's not a reunion. Yeah. Some 50 year old guy. I'm supposed to be. Oh, happy to see you, Frank. Yeah, it's like, do you remember those Trudeau years? No. <laughs> I wasn't even bored. New I mean, Trudeau years. Yeah, new Trudeau. I mean, like, here, <laughs> Elliot Trudeau, like, back in the 60s. It's like, I was born in 85. He's like, get out of my face, Junior. He was still Prime Minister in 85. Oh, my God. When yeah, did Paul Rooney get in? Paul Rooney got in. No, because. I thought he was Turner. out by, like, the early 80s. No, because then we had John Turner, the Prime Minister that everyone forgets. John he slid Turner. in there after Trudeau resigned, and then 
Mulroney. Because you remember he had like two stints as prime minister because yeah, he had yeah. the awkward Joe Clark year yeah. and then Trudeau again. And then Trudeau resigned. Then John Turner took over. And then you had Mulroney. And then he resigned. And then he had Kim Campbell. And then Cretchen. And then Cretchen was there forever. And then he had Paul Martin. And then he had Harper. And then he had Trudeau. John Turner sounds more like one of those like turn of the century like forgotten presidents during like Civil War times. Uh, I think there was there a President Turner. There's President Tyler and a President Taylor. I don't think there was a President Turner. You know, I listened to uh, a podcast that comedian, the, sh- the shamed comedian Shane Gillis, who got booted off SNL. He had other shamed comedian Louis C.K. on, and they went over the history of like all the presidents over like four episodes. They're big boat. They're both history nerds. I do pretty well with those um, sporkle quizzes. Yeah. On um, presidents and prime ministers. The prime ministers is easy because it, 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 there's not nearly as many as there are presidents. We've had a lot less prime ministers than yeah. states have had presidents. Um, but I'm pretty good at those quizzes. I'm, I'm pretty good. Well, geography is definitely a weak spot. You stink at geography. I'm great at geography. I bet you I'm better than you at geography. All right, we'll we'll find one of these quizzes and we'll go mano a mano. All right, as to what state capitals? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Whatever the fuck. I can name all fifty states off the top of my head. We've done this I'm before. I'm good with North American geography and, and yeah. not very good with Mexican geography. So Canada and the U.S. That's, that's basically <laughs> such a Westerner. Yeah. The I, world I revolves around the sun. It's not the only you. places I've been, Canada and the U.S. Haven't left the continent. I'd love to go to England. I'd love to go to Japan. But one day. They would tell you, you must go now. <laughs> Say, we're talking about being worldly. Uh, we got a very worldly episode today of Canada FM. What a segue. Good stuff. I'm doing the best I can. I saw the first hit. The yeah. first hit was where Biff Naked was born. So I yeah. figured I'd use that. So, yes, Miss Biff Naked is the subject of Canada FM. And uh, really, like, I don't know, the first lady of rock and roll in Canada? Like, you've got uh, Rough Trade and Toronto back in the 80s. Um, yeah, you know, Joni Mitchell. Um uh, but when you make your list of your your Mount Rushmore of ladies, Canadian ladies who rock, I think Biff uh, Naked's got to be on that list. Yeah, um, isn't Hart? Aren't they Canadian? No, Hart gets sometimes list can get listed as CanCon because they were like they they snuck out of the states when the Vietnam War happened oh, and like okay. poses so Canadian presidents. One of them married okay. a Canadian. Gotcha. And so there's an era of heart that is considered Canadian music, but they, they, uh, the Wilson sisters are not Canadian. Oh, okay. So then, yeah. yes, like we don't have too many like Katrina and the Waves's, Joan Jets. This is like the closest thing to a Joan Jet that we got. Joy Drop, they were good. Yeah, I never really listened to them. Oh, it's Scratching Post. Remember them? Yeah, I remember you would not. When uh, Silver Sun Pickups came out, you would not welcome them because you're like, they sound like scratching posts. <laughs> and when you compare the amount of records Silver Sun Pickups has sold to the amount of records that scratching posts has sold, <laughs> boy, it was my face red. <laughs> Brent likes scratching posts, didn't he? Because you'd always get in your face about it. I didn't or get in my face about it. We both liked them. I liked them. 
No, I thought. Uh, or did Brent like Silver Sun pickups? He's like you're comparing. He likes Silver Sun pickups. Okay, I we'll didn't like Silver Sun right, pickups. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But then Silver Sun pickups did a song in one of the MLB games called "It's Nice to Know You Work Alone." You want to play a little bit of that, Brian? Stand back and breathe. It's nice to know you work alone. Sure. Here we go. All right. Yeah. Yeah, and I was like, oh, this is a fucking good song. Yeah. So, and we jammed it, you and me and Brent once at his place. Really? Maybe you weren't there. Maybe it was just me no. and him. It must have been you two, because I definitely yeah. could not pick up a tab very quickly to learn it. I would need to like practice it for at least a couple of weeks. Yeah, and that was a good tune, so that kind of helped me turn the fence on them. Okay. Sometimes it just takes one song. Yeah. Uh, but as we get into Biff Naked, do you remember the first time you ever heard of Biff Naked? Um... I remember Spaceman, and I remember... Well, can the... we, I know what you're going to say. Can we hold that off, that story off, until we get to talking about Spaceman? I don't even remember what story. Oh, you don't? Oh, I'll refresh your memory. Then. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I'll hold that off. And, like, so I remember Spaceman, and I remember seeing her at Warp Tour 2000, briefly. That was about it. See, my first memory of her was that she was on that Edgefest 98 lineup. With Green Day and the Foo Fighters and then, oh, everybody else. Everybody who's a who's who of Canadian artists were on that tour. But she was like the one girl. So she kind of stood out and kind of uh, <laughs> broke up this uh, testosterone fest. And uh, my brother picked up a compilation that they gave away for free at Music World. And uh, Choti was on that compilation. And it was the only song that wasn't like acoustic or a remix. Or it was like the only one that they actually had an album version of. So you're like, ah, no wonder they're giving this away for free. Right. And uh, it was like the only song I listened to on that compilation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's uh, that's where I first discovered her. But you never felt uh, compelled to buy an album or anything like that? Or is it just kind of like not your will forte? Oh, well, like, yeah. Because I had hummed it hard. Like when she was on the Warp Tour and stuff like that. I was like, yeah, maybe I should, you know, get more into Biff Naked, but I just, I, I just never did. Um, not gonna lie, I enjoyed my uh, myself going through these albums a tremendous amount, but uh, yeah, it would just, it just, there was no urgency. It was like, no. oh, she's gonna be on TV. I like this song. I like that song, and the singles were usually on compilations, so I was able to pick them up. So that's basically what it gets into. Okay, so that's a simple thing. Uh, well, let's start at the beginning, and the beginning was when she was born on her birthday, uh, in New Delhi, India. Yes, that is the worldly aspect I wanted to bring into this. <laughs> Biff Naked was born in India. Um, that's two Canadian singers that were born in India. Who's the other one? Well, there might be others, but Emily Haynes from Metric. She was born. Oh, in India. okay. Yeah, I thought she was from Sweden. I mean, maybe okay. she has, like, Swedish ancestry, but she was born in India and then raised in Toronto. I think I had Metric a... is such... Metric and the Arcade Fire are, like, weird bands. They're Canadian, but there's no Canadian members. No, there are. In, in Metric, there's not. The drummer and the bass player are American. No, I think thinking... that other... The, yeah, the, like, the guitar player is from England, and she's from Sweden or India. Well, like, she's uh, Indian by birth, but, like, raised in Canada. Like, she's Canadian parents. Actually, I think her one of her parents is American, but raised oh. in, in Canada primarily. But 
I think you're thinking of Arcade Fire because the Butler brothers are born in Texas, but then they yeah. they went to Concordia, and then like the one guy married a Canadian. So either way, we're getting off topic. Well, well, speaking of American parents, yeah, Biff Naked's parents were American missionaries, and they adopted her at birth. Her two uh, her parents were both still in high school when they had her, and they elected to put her up for adoption. And uh, the first stop in Biff Naked's uh, road of adolescence actually was in Kentucky is where her first stop in North America was. Her father got a job at the University of Kentucky, and then they went to Manitoba, where she spent some time in the pass and my old stomping ground of Dauphin, Manitoba. (laughs) We got Francis Bay, a.k.a. Happy Gilmore's mom, a.k.a. Shut up and (laughs) give me the ride, old bag. (laughs) From Seinfeld. She's from Dauphin. And Biff Naked spent some time in Dauphin. So there's their claim to fame. I'm amazed there isn't like a big marble statue of both of them. <laughs> Francis Bay is like, there is like a big deal about her there. I don't think there's a statue. But when she got, um, it was either when she got the Order of Canada or got inducted to the Canadian Walk of Fame. She came back to Dauphin and they just rolled out the red carpet for her. It was Francis all, Bay Day. All 20 people? <laughs> Dauphin actually could be a city. It is the uh like the lowest population you can have to be a city. So you gotta watch the births and deaths, because from moment to moment it could go from town to city. <laughs> you gotta keep an eye on that. Um where was I? But then she didn't stay in Dauphin. No, no, no. Nobody stays in Dauphin. (laughs) (laughs) She finally wound up settling in Winnipeg. And after graduating from John Taylor Collegiate, she decided not to pursue a career as a singer. She wanted to pursue a a career as a stand-up comedian. And she enrolled in the theater arts program at the University of Winnipeg. Interesting where the world takes us. Yeah. Uh, but she has built up a decent acting resume for herself since her university days. Uh, her debut role was in a 1990 art house comedy called Archangel, where she played the role of Russian soldier. And she later appeared in movies like The Boys Club, which had uh, Chris Penn in it. Yeah. Crossing, which I've never heard of, but I've heard of this one. The Yui Bowl classic, House of the Dead which is supposed to be one of the worst movies ever made. <laughs> Most of the Uva Bowl movies are. It's interesting how she wanted to start out as a stand-up and then pivoted into singing. Henry Rollins from Black Flag was a singer and then pivoted into like these like spoken word engagements and almost like stand-up gigs. And she's done a lot of that too. A lot of keynote speaking. They're not it's more like what Henry Rollins does where it's almost like TED Talks. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, similar to that. And Biff Naked does a lot of that stuff to this day. Did you ever see Henry Rollins' uh, This Is Not Happening episode? Very funny. Is that the way they like talk about, like, this comedian, they talk about, like, a wacky story, or, like, a wacky yeah, yeah. night they had? It was hosted uh, by Ari Safir uh, came up with it, and then Roy Wood Jr. took it over after a few years. I, I've seen a few. I saw Mark Marins. I saw um, uh, the guy who looks like he's one of the Hardy Boys, um, the mullet. Theo Vaughn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> saw his. And I meant to watch Henry Rollins. I think I started to, but I got sidetracked or something. Yeah, like they're that. all on YouTube. They're good. 
Regardless, though, um, Biff Naked has also crossed over to television in her acting career. She's been on t- mostly Canadian TV shows. Uh, John Woo's Once a Thief, The L Word, and she did some voices on Daria. <laughs> so go figure. Uh, she also appeared in the Moist videos for Silver and Believe Me. I do remember her in the Believe Me video. Silver, I don't remember her. But apparently she was in the video for The Kids Are All Right, Aren't, aren't All Right by The Offspring. And I don't remember her in that. I mean, I do remember a girl with black hair in it, but I mean, that video was just because it's all one continuous shot where it's like, yeah, are kind of transitioning like or editing or edited on top of each other. So one person's kind of coming in, one person kind of transitions out. So it's like a blink and you miss her. So, yeah, yeah. But I do remember I did... one, a person with the long black hair and that kind of like scowl. And you know what? She would be a good fit for that because let's face it, even if she doesn't say anything, Biff's got a look. Yeah. That's very unique to her, but it's it's very of the time punk rock of the 90s. You know what I mean? Lots of tattoos, jet black hair. She likes to make those uh, faces, those angry faces. (laughs) She's, you know, it's like you ever see the episode of Everybody Loves Raymond where Robert got like swindled by this modeling agency because they said he had a great character face. No, like this whole persona is just like a great character persona. Yeah. You didn't see that? No, but I mean, after a good episode. Everybody, every episode of Everybody Loves Raymond is basically just a duplicate. So I'm like, all right, I've seen this enough. <laughs> it was just kind of funny because after he gets that, he walks through the door. He's got this dumb grin on his face. Like, <laughs> he's like, what are you doing, Robert? I'm a model now. Yeah. You can't be a ro- model, Robert. And then Marie's probably like, Raymond can be a model. <laughs> Everybody loves Raymond. Raymond, Raymond, Raymond. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah, roll That's credits. Great. That's basically. <laughs> Anyhow, enough about Biff Naked's acting career. We want to talk about her music career, and it would start around this time uh, when she was in the University of um, uh, of Winnipeg. Uh, she began singing in the punk and alt rock groups Gorilla Gorilla, not to be confused with the old cartoon Magilla Gorilla. <laughs> And Chrome Dog at this time. And she adopted the stage name Biff uh, because people would mispronounce her birth name, Beth. I should have mentioned at the beginning, her birth name is Beth. Beth Tobert, sometimes known as Beth Hawkins. So, it's Torbert, yes, that is Tolbert. her real name. Pardon me? It's Torbert, not Tobert. I must have left out the R in my script. <laughs> oh, well. Anyhow, moving on. Uh, Biff Naked will release her debut or her debut self-titled album in 1994 on her own label called Concrete Records. The album was produced by John R. Dexter, who also co-wrote several tracks. He's worked with uh, Platinum Blonde, Helix, and Erasure in the past. And IMDb says that John R. Dexter played Viola in the scores for the Spike Lee movies Do the Right Thing and Jungle Fever. I have no idea if this is the same guy. I'm guessing no. You never know. I mean, if you, if this guy had any sort of a track record, he could have bounced back and forth. I'm just thinking, if you're playing viola successfully enough to be in these big orchestras that are getting movie score deals, why would you go produce independent punk records in Winnipeg? I mean, uh, what's what's we call it the concert stuff the you know the orchestra stuff might not always be a steady gig right like you always see it in uh uh 
I've seen it on a couple of sitcoms. It's almost like an old trope where a guy tries to be romantic and hires like a little mini orchestra, like trained classically trained musicians, but they're all like poor dirt bags. And so they're like trying to like, like they're like taking all like the creamers. It's like, if it's in an office, they're taking all like the office supplies. Like we need this. Don't come in here. I think that is purely television. I really don't think <laughs> hopeless romantics are hiring string quartets with the frequency you think they are. That's why I said it's a TV trope. I'm sure it's not <laughs> something that's common, but I'm just saying, like, the gigs, uh, you know, unless it's like a constant theater gig every night and people are coming to the, you know, the symphony, um, I'm sure they probably got to take extra work where they can get it. Session musicians... Um, music producer, whatever. It's not like John R. Dexter is that uncommon a name. There could be two. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. If John R. Dexter listens to this episode, we've <laughs> even given him way too much credit or way too little credit. We'll see. Anyway, uh, what's interesting, I found that actually the cover of this album, if there's anything I want to talk about first, it's the cover. Uh, it's interesting because it would show Biff sitting at a table holding a glass of wine with an ashtray filled with cigarettes in front of her. And Biff would actually adopt the straight-edge ideology later in her career. She does not smoke. She does not drink or do any illegal drugs. However, she refused to give up promiscuous sex. I believe that's like an optional condition, like veganism. It's an optional condition of straight-edgeism. They mainly want you to quit drinking, doing drugs, and smoking. I don't think they really are too hard on the sex and the eating meat. Well, I remember watching that movie uh, Senseless with uh, yes. David Spade and uh, was it Marlon Wayans? And Marlon Matthew, Wayans. Matthew Lillard plays his Canadian roommate who's uh, yeah. straight edge. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, he, sex. And he's like, sex? He's like, yeah, all forms. And he gives him like the jerk off motion and like the, the no motion. He's like, all forms. No, no. So, yeah, <laughs> I guess I don't know why. I mean, it, like, what do these people just not enjoy anything? No, it is. It's it's um. Well, what's it called? I I the, the sex. It's the promiscuality of the sex. So if you're dating someone or committed to someone, you can just bone down as much as you want. But if it's yes. like picking up someone off the street, that's a no no. Exactly. Okay. Well, you have, so, have sex with someone you actually care about, not just some strange. <laughs> uh, but I remember the first time I heard about uh, what's it called. Straight Edge Lifestyle was actually on an episode of America's Most Wanted. And at the time, I was like in the eighth grade. And I was like, oh, that's perfect for me. (laughs) I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't smoke. I'm not getting late. (laughs) I'm in. And then you, I don't think you and I ever like X'd up our hands, but we were talking about, yeah, we should look at these straight edge people. And then like the first sniff of booze someone gave me. Yeah, it was me. Um, my straight edge ide- ideology went right down the toilet. Well, first of all, my mom gave you champagne in grade eight to usher in the millennium. <laughs> I do remember that, yes. <laughs> so that was the first thing, but I was also one of the first people that got you drunk. So Yes, you were. You were the first person to ever get me drunk. I'm sure your parents never forgave me for that because it <laughs> led down a slippery slope. <laughs> It was a fun night. We watched Family Guy and we raided your parents' liquor cabinet. And I tried to put chess pieces up my nose because I thought I was hammered. 
And uh, yeah, he cut me off, you jerk. Actually, I, I do thank you for cutting me off because if I kept drinking, I probably would have puked. And you wouldn't stop giggling at that stupid Corky Romano trailer. Yeah, you find stupid things funny when you're drunk. The uh, I remember one time I was dating a girl and she gave me a bit of an edible, like just like yeah. a little piece of chocolate, and it kicked in by the time like we were leaving. They had just um, met, she had just met Brandon and Aaron. And mm. so we had dinner at their place, and it kicked in by the time we got home. And we're watching Family Guy, and they did one of their classic cutaways about this, like, Amish comedian. And he's just like, he's like, uh, he's like, is there anyone? He's, he's like, where are you from, sir? Boston? He's like, I've never been to Boston. He's like, where are you from, sir? Missouri. I have never been to Missouri. I have jokes about upstate Pennsylvania and, like, upstate Ohio. Is anyone from there? And I was Jedediah. For some reason, I could not stop laughing because it was just pure awkwardness. Like, it's the things that when you're out of it that you just find hilarious. On a normal day, it's just a stupid bit, but I was You know what's funny? You know what's funny? You have not only told this story before on the podcast, on the Norm MacDonald episode, but you also played the full clip from that episode of Family Guy. Well... Now I'm going to cut this part out, so... <laughs> you can leave it in. <laughs> you need a refresher every now and then about our lives. Well, you know what I mean? You if you're not constantly telling people about the same shit that happened to you in your life, they're going to forget. I'm sure... Life does not have reruns. Yeah. But also, I'm sure there's other stupid shit that, I was, that I've was that i laughed at while I've been inebriated, but that's the first thing that came to mind. So sue me. Yeah, well, I laughed my head off at Corky Romano, Chris Catan dressed up as a Girl Scout, asking a bunch of mobsters if they want any cookies. Do you know how many times I listen to podcasts and they're like, I've probably repeated this story before, but we're telling it again. All the time. I'm not criticizing you for it, I'm just mentioning it. Well, by, by mentioning it, you're criticizing me, saying, oh, look at old Andy <laughs> Alzheimer's that. over here, just repeating himself over and over again. Sammy Sundown says, losing his mind. Stevie Stormcloud. <laughs> that was your dad. Yeah, well, my mom calls me that, too. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, despite getting a re-release, uh, we are still talking about Biff Naked's uh, debut album, by the way. Uh, despite getting a re-release by Aquarius Records in 1996, uh, this album failed to really do anything on the charts. Tell on you... My Whole Life, which was a very unexpected Euro pop song. Um, As well as Everything, which is a great kickoff track uh, with lyrics that highlight Biff Naked's bisexuality. as well as Daddy's Getting Married, were all released as singles, but none of them ended up charting. I do remember Daddy's Getting Married getting a lot of airplay on much music, but a lot of that was on like uh, the Spotlight show right. uh, when Biff took off with bigger hits later down the road. But uh, one more thing about Daddy's Getting Married. 
tell me, I got a reel today by the Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, box I was, I was gonna, yeah. say, I was thinking the exact that opening little like bing, 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 like that kind of circus carnival kind of guitar at the start, and then just the yeah. slow kind of droning guitar. Yeah, definitely very much. So. Yeah. Um, also, I wanted to mention, and maybe you had this on your list. Uh, one of the standout tracks for me on this album was the song "Succulent." I knew you were which uh, say sounds that. like it was written by uh, Charles Boyle from uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine. Succulent. <laughs> Uh, the use of the hip-hop drumming and the turntables is completely different from uh, the much more punky, grungy vibe that the album has. And uh, Biff would not be afraid to genre hop as the years went along. Uh, part of her appeal. Um, did you catch, what did you think of her debut? Did you catch the, the little sample that they had in there, Flava Flav? Yeah, it was like uh, like when they would do the scratching, and then yeah, it would, there, there'd there be a little like cut to flavor flavor going like kick that shit. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I love it. What, I forget what song that was taken off of, but it was probably either "Fear of a Black Planet" or "Yo Bum Rush So." But cut that either shit. Way. It's not. Is that song from nine one one? Is a joke? Is it? Uh, I don't know. They. They reuse certain, like, they reuse their own, like, callbacks, or their own, like, lines yeah, in their own songs, so it's very weird, but, uh, so it could, <laughs> it could be in, like, ten different songs. But, uh, to so answer your question, this? sorry, yeah, I was gonna say, I was like, hmm? uh, yeah, I loved everything, it had a very, uh... Yeah, everything was, was one of the standout tracks. What was it, like, uh, Go-Go's, Katrina and the Waves, uh, all those, like, also, it kind of had a, um... What was I going to say? Like a 80s, like Husker Du style punk that almost like ushered in like via like a Green Day style kind of thing, especially because okay, like, like not quite like a Welcome to Paradise type uh, driving guitar song, but like I don't know, that's the vibe. I, that's the era I got, like the 80s punk. Um, okay, but well, that's the, you could almost you could almost equate that. So so what you're talking about is like 80s punk that you kind of but bridged a little bit with uh, like more mid 90s punk right yeah so you could almost call that grunge yeah but like the grunge is much slower and more obnoxious i'm not okay. a huge fan of grunge but uh yeah you've never been big on grunge you, you've never been much of a nirvana fan no in fact my entire life i think you, you like smells like teen spirit but i don't think you've ever even liked nirvana no i don't even like smells like teen uh spirit i like <laughs> i like two songs i like their cover of man who sold the world and I like uh, Silver, or Sliver, sorry, Sliver. I was good. Yeah. Uh, just because it's such an innocent song, and it's told sung so aggressively. You got to be so people. different, don't you? I you can't help like it. Nirvana. You don't like the Beatles. You don't... <laughs> Do you like Bob Dylan? Yeah, there he is. There he is. He's, he's they're fine. The Beatles are fine. I just, they're they're fine. Right. Kiss my dish ray. Get off my. <laughs> um, no, like I like Pearl Jam. Uh, so in the in the battle of the grunge, I always took Pearl Jam, and I I respected Soundgarden. I just never listened listened to a lot of Soundgarden. Uh, it just I don't know. In the in circle back to Flavor Flav. Don't believe the hype. 
sometimes with Nirvana. I don't know. I, th- I just think, I think it's because he left such a early corpse that uh, he, he left us too early that it's hard to say if they were going to be uh, the greatest band. Like, cause look at Pearl Jam. They've had a lot of ebbs and flows over the years because they've stuck it out. They're the, literally the last ones of the <laughs> to quote Eddie. They're still alive. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, but yeah. What a simple reference that was, but it worked so well. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, I like Succulent my whole life. It was fine. The, like This album was good. It's just, uh, yeah, some of that slower yeah. stuff. It just, it, this is going to be a constant thing for me. Some of it's good. Some of it, not so much. It, it, well, it, you it, and me are pretty on point here. Yeah. Because I don't think ballads are Biff Naked's strong point. No, it's, it's like, she's a good singer. It's just some, some people can work well within the ballot. Like look at Amy, what's your name? Amy Lee from, uh, Evanescence. E- Evanescence. Yeah. She she's can, phenomenal. she can, she's can sing with the aggressive stuff and she can swing, sing with the ballad. You know, she swings both ways because her voice is just beautiful. I like Biff Naked's voice, but here's, here's I how I would describe I it. I know, but here's how I would describe it. Gwen Stefani, I get that. If she was performing for children or on a children's <laughs> show, like just Gwen Stefani, but even more animated. I see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean that in the most kind way possible because I really did enjoy going through this discography. Yes, yeah, so but I. I agree with you. I thought this was kind of a weird album. Um, you've got all these brooding, grungy tunes that out of nowhere she switches up the genre and does something totally different. Um, I like genre hopping usually too, but um, I think if there was maybe more genre hopping than just like two or three tracks that stick out like sore thumbs, yeah. uh, I might have liked it a little bit more. Uh, yeah. But I still thought it was a solid debut. Like, I mean, if putting whole... her name out, she's a, a, a worthwhile artist to follow at this point. Yeah, if the whole album was more like everything, I think it would have been big Siskels all around. But uh, yeah, I give it like a mild, mild thumbs up. Yeah, yeah, especially because it's a debut. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like you don't have to hit it out of the park; just get people's attention. Yeah, and there was enough good stuff on there that she's got my attention. Yeah. Also in 1994, this is the year it was re-released by Aquarius Records. Biff would release the EP. Um, four songs and a poem. And that was followed by the spoken word album, Orkin Spay Ordway, The Things I Forgot to Tell My Mommy in 1997. Now, I'm not going to deep dive much into this album since I'm not a poetry critic. I'm a music, I'm not even a critic. I'm a guy who likes everything I hear. Uh, I did listen to some of the album because it's got 34 tracks and most of them are a minute long. Uh, it's kind of interesting, though, because you can hear on this spoken word album. You remember the last track on the self-titled was like a spoken word? Gross, gross man. Yeah, it was like a story. Yeah, and but she she, she had a bit of a prairie accent going there. I'll have to take And that accent's it. pretty much gone on this album. Maybe she took some allocution lessons. <laughs> Possibly. I, I, it just, it could be from hanging out with Americans or going on tour. Yeah. You lose certain elements of your accent. That's true. I mean, uh, yeah. 
I don't know. I've 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 been told my accent has shifted over the years. My aunt told me I sounded a more American once when I came home for Thanksgiving, and that was when I was living in Windsor at the U.S. Right border. border. Yeah, yeah. So, but I was like, at the time, I was in my twenties. I was like, accents don't shift like that. Oh, they do. You should hear me. I'll break out the uh, the long O every now and then. The soft A. I will say this. I'll say my my uncle. uh, I remember when he first left for England because he he fell in love with an English lady and lived there for a couple years and he came back. He didn't have the accent, but he had the tonal mannerisms like the uh the the cadence the the slang and i'm just like i remember although i will i will give him props he was wearing like a ska shirt it literally just said like ska on it oh that's cool um but i was just like i'm like uncle rob you just sound like such a poser right now it's like someone like <laughs> it's like i watched too much downton abbey and now i think i'm one of them you know when my sister got back from new zealand when she she when she, she kind of had like this weird almost like Madonna British accent, like which was, it was so it was kind of like I call it almost a Creole accent, like her Canadian accent was merging with her surroundings. Uh, and then when she'd get drunk, she'd almost sound full blown Kiwi. That's weird. It's kind of funny. I, I told you what happened to me in England, right? No, the the because it's a recurring theme on this show and in my life how people have said to me on more than one occasion that I'm lowbrow. And so when I went to England for my friend Jeremy's wedding, his wife's brother was dating a girl from South Africa. And okay. And that's a weird accent. Yeah. She had the gall to call my accent lowbrow. Now, I don't know if she was, uh, she, I don't know if she was lumping all Canadians or just mine. And so I told her brother, cause I had met him once or twice before. And I was like, she called my accent lowbrow. It's like, yeah, she's very blunt. I'm sorry about that. And I just wanted to be like, if I, I was so taken back, I would have been like, hey, at least I, my people didn't do, were responsible for apartheid. Hello? McFly? Uh, no, but, it was her, it was her boyfriend who was from South Africa? Uh, no, the, her, so Jeremy married a girl named Joe. Joe's brother was dating a gal from South Africa. The, the lady from was from South Africa. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, because, uh, I thought if she was from England, that would make a lot more sense yeah. than her being from South Africa and saying you're, you sounded lowbrow. Because I remember uh, my old co-host Shane; he was from this area of England called Portsmouth. It's Portsmouth. And Portsmouth. Yeah. But that's got a, a, a thing in England of being like dirty, and it's by yeah. the docks. It's yeah. being lowbrow. No one in Canada knows. Yeah. But he, I grew up with this reputation that you're yeah. You know, you're you got a dirty accent. You're you're you low, you're low brow. So he refused to tell people where he's from. He's just like, I'm from here and there. <laughs> like, like he would not tell people his reports, Smith, or from the docks because he didn't want people to think that he was of lower class. Yeah. Before we move on to the next thing, I will say this: he was not of lower class, for the record. No, he was. Uh, I mean, I never met him, but listening to him on the radio, he's very funny. He's well spoken. Yes. Like he wasn't some like. You know, a lot of Brits kind of do like like mumble and just, you know what I mean? Very almost inaudible. But, Can I tell uh, you a quick Shane story that made me laugh? All right. Well, let me tell mine first and then you tell yours. All right. No, it's, it's fine. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, I'm just, I was going to say low brow runs in my family because my, uh, I think it was my great grandmother was from Southeast London, which I guess is like mm-hmm. we're also near the docks. And apparently. Oh, yeah. Uh, so when 
my great grandmother moved to Canada when they all came over and they had a family dinner. My parents were dating at the time. She could not, un- my mom could not understand my great grandmother. It was just, oh, yeah? it was just was so, that like, thick an accent, huh? It was, well, it was just so thick and like the slang and it was just inaudible. My, my, my mom's like, do you understand what the fuck she's saying? And my dad's like, a little bit. <laughs> Okay, I'll save my Shane. So I'll tell it now. Just tell this it. This is just my favorite memory of him since we're talking about him. Yeah. Uh, it was Christmas time. And we were about to come back from a break. And we were playing, uh, was it Li- Dwight Yoakam? We were playing Dwight Yoakam's cover of Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And it ends with him saying, the big fat man is coming to town. The big fat man is coming to town. So I went, oh, Shane, apparently Dwight Yoakam says you're coming to town. And then he's just silent the whole time, just looking at me angry. And then I do the bit. And he goes, never you call me fat, sitting over there in your blue jumper. You look like the fucking sky. <laughs> I lost my shit. <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to tell that one where he's just like, because uh, I think it was also around Christmas. Didn't he sing like this like ongoing song where he's like up on the roof, top, up, up, He didn't know any of the. <laughs> yeah, so I was just being. It was we were young and stupid, so wait, I had to call up all these numbers of these people who won these prizes at like seven thirty in the morning, and it would take forever, you know. And I hated the dead air of that dialing and just listening to it ring, you know. So I'm like, hey Shane, to fill the dead air, why don't you sing us a Christmas carol? And he knew like Frosty and Rudolph, and that was it. And so I said, he's like, I don't know what song to sing. I'm like, why don't you sing Up on the Housetop? And he's like, I don't know the words, but I'll make something up. <laughs> he sang something about a guy with a fat nose. And it was funny. Up on the housetop with a cold wind blows. This funny little man that everyone knows. And I just lost control because I didn't know what the hell he was doing. It was hilarious. Yeah, this is all live on the radio, too. He didn't say fuck on the radio. He said that off the mic, but still. The uh, so anyway, you were you're you're saying before you're not you're no Lawrence Ferengetti, but uh, you're taught you're listening to some of her poetry. Yes, her spoken word album or whatever. You know, it's you know what you want to take a walk through Biff Naked's mind. I recommend it if you want. Like it's that good extra material. Like I bought the what's it called that Sublime box set. This like uh, it's called um I forget what it's called. There's a big box set that they put out a few years ago with like four discs on it and a DVD. But one of the discs was just filled with radio interviews that Brad did. I like college stations uh, dating way back to the late 80s. And I loved it. So if you're like a true blue Biff Naked fan and you want more than what's just on the record. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of fun. And she's theatrical. You know, she's an actress. So, yeah. yeah. I bet that reference I just dropped went way over your head. I had no idea what the fuck you were talking about. He was that poet in The Last Waltz. Remember there's that weird part where there's just like a yes. random poet? Yeah, that's who it was. Yes. Okay. He's almost talking to Pig Latin in his weird I know. Too. I think it was like a Gaelic kind of something or other. It ties in nicely because Orkin Spay Ordway, the title of her spoken word ad- album, is Pig Latin. And we're back on track because... Things are about to pick up for Biff Naked after that spoken word album, as she would release her major label debut, I Bificus, in February of 1998. Peter Carroll, Oliver Lieber, Glenn Rosenstein, and John Webster were in the production were the production team behind this release. I don't go into detail with them because there's four, and I just don't care when it's four. When it's one, it's a lot more interesting. Fun fact. Uh, but they were behind and they contributed to the songwriting too. Fun fact. Uh, uh, 
you wanted to do a short stack episode on live on release that mm-hmm. Peter Peter Carroll is the father of the guitar player. Get out of town. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. Because he comes up again yeah. in the Biff Naked script, Peter Carroll. I did not know that he was uh, the dad of live on release's guitar player. Yeah. Because that's when we eventually in the next month, two months, whenever we decide to do that short stack episode, I got some stuff there. All right. And well, like that's you, a cool little preview of things to come. Like you said before, live on release and Biff Naked kind of intertwine a little bit. So this is where. Tell, well, well, didn't she manage them? Uh, no, she signed them to, well, we'll, we'll leave them wanting more, but she helped we... them with their big break. We'll say that. Okay. We'll get into the nitty gritty when we move on to that uh, episode, but we're sticking to uh, Miss Naked right now. Success from this release would come pretty quick as its debut single, Spaceman, would become a massive hit. However... It wasn't the synth rock banger that appeared on the initial release of Ibificus. It was a dance remix that was put together by the Boomtang Boys. Spaceman, oh spaceman, come rescue me from this calling, hallelujah, come rescue me. That was heavily featured on Much Music. You remember the stupid Boomtang Boys and the uh, Squeeze Toy, their big single? Yeah. You can be my Squeeze Toy. <laughs> yeah, they did Spaceman, too. I know. that's the. It's funny because that's the version I remember when I was younger. I don't remember the kind of like rockin' version. I always remember the uh, dance version. What'd you like better? Not gonna lie. I don't like the dance version. <laughs> it's yeah, cool. you know it's- I'm so used to it because I remember I always like I think I remember hearing that version on the edge too. I could be wrong. Maybe it was on like energy. No, they played. You're right. They played both on the edge. Okay, yeah, because I definitely yeah. remember hearing that on the edge a bunch. So that one always just stuck with me. Well, that catchy hook and that Boomtang Boys remix uh, helped Spaceman reach number two on the Canadian singles charts. That's her highest charting single in her career. Um, Unfortunately, Celine Dion and My Heart Will Go On prevented Biff Naked from reaching number one. So you got that stupid boat song to make for it. What? I said for that piece of shit movie I still haven't seen. I told you just the second half. You're good. And then he, she it comes up in the credits. Celine Dion movies about Dandy here. Do, 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 do. Oh, here we go. That's it. Uh, okay, Spaceman. This is, I want to talk to you about this. I don't know. Remember, it was one of your brother's friends because you guys would always do this in the car. Apparently, he sang the chorus of Spaceman in a very high falsetto voice. And when you guys were driving, sometimes you just go Spaceman, oh Spaceman. <laughs> Do you remember that? If that that sounds like Beaker, that that's just oh, this is before Beaker, was it? Yeah, shit. Then uh, I don't know because the only frenzy really, because uh, that came out in what ninety eight? You said yeah. So yeah, my brother still would have been in high school, so that must have been uh, 
shit, maybe that was Brandon Conrad. One or no, it was this goofy friend Sean Metcalf, one of those guys. But one of them saying like a real doofus. Yes, I do remember that now that you uh, bring that up. Jogging the <laughs> it just became a thing it. that we would do when we were on a long car ride with your brother. Or if you wanted to annoy him. Yeah, that wasn't hard. Yeah. And so sometimes when, I was, when I'm listening to that song, I, I do sing it in the falsetto vo- vocals because <laughs> of that story. It's just fun that way. It's like my own worst enemy by Lit. I sing in a very high-pitched falsetto-y voice because of that crappy band that played at our school's coffee house that one year. I will say this. While they were... Do you remember that? Do you get what I'm referencing? I'm singing it in my head right now. Exactly like like the guy's got hepped up on friggin' uh, helium. But, um... (laughs) Or is that the right thing? Helium? Makes your voice go high? Uh, Yeah, helium. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will say this, though. I mean, you played that one gig with Kevin that you talked about Mm -hmm. a couple weeks back. But, you know, I never set foot on stage. I've had these weird dreams that I've set foot on stage playing with people and, but like my guitar only had like two strings, like in the yeah. presidency of the United States or like midway through the song, I would forget. And I just try to like make shit up and, they're like, and I'm like getting off the stage. <laughs> so I've always had dreams where I'm playing live and it never goes well. So, I mean, kudos to those kids for actually doing it. Yeah. I no, give them credit. No matter they made how it through the shitty, show. Yeah. No matter how shitty a band is, a, it's a high school band. I mean, you know, most people aren't the uh, the titans of the school. That's true. So I give them, I'll give anyone props. In hindsight, maybe we were dickheads about it, but in hindsight, I'll give anyone props who actually had the goal to go for it. I don't think we were dickheads. It was a thing you and May did. It's not like we broadcasted on the PA system at school or humiliated no, this kid. He never knew. I remember we were sitting relatively close to the front and we were laughing at him a lot. I do remember that. You did turn to me and go, the sound of this kid's voice is hilarious. <laughs> I was like, shut up, Brian. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Spaceman would open the floodgates as Ibificus would become a hit machine. Lucky, which was an orchestral ballad that would also get the Boomtang Boys remix treatment, would reach number 11. The punk-driven moment of weakness wouldn't chart, but it got heavy airplay on much music. I actually went back and watched the video for that. That's a yeah, great video. Lost, no one Yeah, I love that. If you haven't seen it, they're walking through an office. Biff is looking for this guy that she's really mad at, but she's with her band. And then, of course, he's like the only person there with like bleached hair with a shirt not tucked in. He's got to be a punk rocker even at the <laughs> office. And then she sings the song at him. Yeah. And uh, she doesn't sing the song to him. She sings the song at him. And that's uh, a good little video. Yeah, yeah, and the first, like, two-thirds of it is all in one take. And then they start cutting towards the end where they do, like, the rapid kind of, like, and she's kind of losing it in the chorus. That's when they actually yeah. do the MTV style cutting. But it's cool how the first part is like almost all one take. And right one there, simple concept. Great video. Yeah. You don't need P. Diddy flying, <laughs> you know, fighter jets into Godzilla to have a great video. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other single that was released off of Ibificus was Choti, which reached number 39. I was just out of high school. Band. And I married my drummer. Our love was grand. I thought it was forever. Till death do us part. 
Now, following the lyrics of Choti, uh, it's somewhat autobiographical, as Biff did marry her band's drummer when she was very, very young, a courtship that would only last six months. Um, the lyrics also indicate that the lead character in this song has an abortion over the fact that her husband doesn't want to be a daddy and um, experiences some guilt afterwards. Now, whether or not that part of the song is also autobiographical, I don't know. But Bit has been a strong pro-choice crusader throughout her career and an advocate for women's rights. I should also mention on a more upbeat note that uh, despite the very personal lyrics and dark subject matter, heavy subject matter, the song would often be performed by Kevin Eubanks and the Tonight Show band going into commercial break. Wow. Yeah, on the Tonight Show. (laughs) Like with the lyrics, because they had a singer. There's a girl there you always see playing bongos, but she'd get up and sing during during the breaks, yeah. Never yeah. Leno guy. Never Leno guy. Uh, growing up, my parents liked Leno. So. Yeah, he's of their generation. Yeah. But, yeah. I don't know, I'd watch it because they watched it. I didn't get Letterman's humor back then. I to know. be fair, I love the way he, he is with his guests, Letterman, yeah. but I still don't get his humor. It's, Everything's it, funnier when it's gigantic. <laughs> it's, uh, he started, he, he had a very similar, because uh, I, I bought his, or someone gave me, I think Jake gave me his uh, biography. So I started reading it a while back. I haven't finished it, but he kind of did something similar to like the Norm, or not Norm McDonald, the uh, Howard Stern started in like college radio and like kind of made a name for himself, like bothering people. But Letterman was oh, okay. just more, much more family friendly. He wasn't like cursing or being inappropriate. He was just, just very odd humor that just like, he, yeah. was, he was doing it for himself, which I respected. <laughs> He's, it's like you know, it's like you and me. We didn't give a shit if the class laughed. If we laughed, we were happy. It's kind of like how, that. How much of this podcast would our listeners not give a shit about? <laughs> we're having a good time, and that's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, Ibificus would reach platinum status in Canada, but only managed to reach number 200 on the Canadian album charts, oddly enough. Um, it would also make an impact on the Billboard Heat Seeker charts, where it would reach number 42. So a little bit of success down south. Ibificus would also get a U.S. release and a U.K. release in the summer of 1999. I should note that the track listing on those releases is a lot different than what you see on Spotify. It would feature two new songs, I Died and Twitch, which would later appear on her EP, Five Songs in a Poem. And some of the original tracks would be altered and edited. They would actually go in and they do fades when the song cuts. They took out a verse here and there. It was some weird studio meddling that they did that I don't necessarily approve of. Huh. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed this album. Yeah. Uh, the pacing here is a lot better than on Biff's debut. You can tell she's really grown as a songwriter. And uh, the musical direction here seems to be a lot focused. Uh, tracks that I really enjoyed that I haven't mentioned yet. Any Day Now, Sophia, and the Peacock song. All really liked. Yeah. They, um... yeah I don't know why I'm snapping my fingers. Uh... Hey. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I will say this, the, uh, like any day now is a slower one, but then like once it takes off a spaceman, it pretty much for the most part stays, it's, it's much more balanced. And, yeah. um, I liked if I, and, uh, only the girl was good. And 
fun fact, and I'll, I'll mention this again in the uh, live on release episode. Boy, there's a lot of connections. Yeah, this was co-written. The song Violence on here was yeah. co-written by Britton Carroll, Pete's daughter, when she was 10. <laughs> she was 10? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and uh, I, I'll i send you the script. I'm going to do this bit again because it entertains me to no end, but I'll send you the script. But I have this whole bit in there about uh, how when I was 10, Mr. Morrison was crushing my dreams. But I get the last laugh because I'm like, how are you doing down there, Johnny? Because he's dead. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> he was like our most influential teacher. I love Mr. Morrison. No, he's fine. He was, he was good. But uh, <laughs> It was more. It was more the fact that he ripped apart the dreams of a of a ambitious ten year old and made him the slacker. That's uh, just a puddle of. But this is a good... okay. Did you not just write a script for a podcast? Yeah. Would you not say that you are actively writing to this day? Uh. Actively, well, you're not writing fiction or or anything like that. Well, that's what I what I was interested in when I was ten years old was writing fiction, and he stepped on that like it was a, a fly on a hot summer's day. Did and it really get to you that bad? He made an example of me in front of the whole class. Do you not remember he this? To make an example of me all the time. Yeah, me too. Maybe that's why we became friends. <laughs> Just the two kids who got picked on by our fifth grade teacher that we just banded together. Yeah, I'll show them. The class punching bags. <laughs> but he said, he said to me, do you know how many Canadian writers there are? And I was like, no. He's like, not many. And you're not very good. There's actually a ton of Canadian writers. I know. But he's... Uh, <laughs> He, <laughs> so he was wrong there. He said that to a two says that to a ten year old. Like I understand that like he, that wasn't his style to handhold and coddle, but like we're in elementary school. We're not. It's like give me a reality even... check. Ugh. Reality check. To quote, <laughs> to, quote, to quote Mr. Brill, that's not being a pheasant and friend. Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure he hated Mr. Brill and all that. <laughs> in school malarkey that they make us do so oh man imagine if mr morrison was still alive imagine if he said something and like someone's like that's not very pc he would probably just rip him a new one. Oh yeah he said some horribly offensive things but under today's lens to our class <laughs> horribly offensive i don't remember anything that bad i mean just the gen- general child abuse but uh <laughs> Do you remember he was talking about being in favor of spanking? And uh, he's like, now, I want you to go home to your parents and tell them that Morrison supports them spanking you. I'm talking about a little tap, not breaking out the ball whip, going, ha, ha. There you go, Timmy. Whip you 36 times today. We're going to whip you 36 times tomorrow. Oh, Dad, why are you doing this to me? Because I can this story has not changed since 1995. It is, it is verba- so funny. It was verbatim it was how it came guy. out of his mouth. He was a very and funny guy. You gotta admit. He made fun of Matt Walker mercilessly, called him a sheep. Sure he loved that. Although it's kind of funny because he he did not change his sheepish ways in high school. He was a real <laughs> go along with this guy. Go along to get along. Uh, he's never done anything wrong to you. Some hockey grudge from ages ago. 
And you just hate this guy's guts to this day. <laughs> I don't Jeez. know. Hate, hate's a strong motivator for staying alive, Ted. What do you want from me? <laughs> Imagine if he sees this. Go, hey, Teddy and Brian, I wonder what they're up to. Just you ripping them apart. <laughs> I mean, if he, Lord. Reached, if he reached out to me and said, messaged me on like Instagram or something, he's like, hey, what the hell was that all about? I'm like, I'd literally be like, you were a dick to me back then, but it's literally for jokes, so relax. He's <laughs> 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 so like Roddy Dangerfield. Hey, relax. Well, <laughs> <laughs> just like Dangerfield, Morrison gave me no respect. <laughs> Good Lord. All right. The year is 1999. We are between. I don't even think I asked what you. Oh yeah, you told you did tell me. Never mind. Uh, we we went so, so far off the map that I forgot where I was on the script, and I moved the page. I'm staring at a different page. I thought I was still on the page that I had moved. Anyhow, um, the year is 1999. It's Christmas time. Biff Naked gets a call from MTV. MTV says, "Hey Biff, we're putting together this little Christmas compilation. We want you to do a song." So she did a punk rock version of I Saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. And every radio station I have ever, wor- ever worked for has played that song during Christmas time. Ah. Yeah. It was so funny. That's that. I, I build on my Christmas list every year various like punk and alternative songs. Did not even know she did that. I've never heard it. You, you know what? Wasn't on Spotify. Oh. I've heard it a billion times. It's not available on Spotify, that song. Okay. Yeah. In 2000, Biff released the EP Another Five Songs in a Poem. First there, was an, there's, first, there was five songs in a poem. This was another five songs in a poem. I mentioned how the punk rock tune Twitch was included in the U.S. release of Ibificus. Well, it was also released as a single from the EP, as well as a cover of the Twisted Sister classic, We're Not Gonna Take It, which also served as the main single to the soundtrack to the David Arquette WCW wrestling classic, Ready to rumble. Biff has stated in interviews that it's her very favorite music video that she has ever done. Was uh, we're not going to take it. Never charted though. Um, also, when David Arquette was briefly WCW World Champion, that was his entrance music. I wonder if that, uh, you know, because you remember back in the day when DVDs first came out and yeah. they had like some of the special features, there's always like one featurette, and then like if they made a music video for that soundtrack, those were all, I yeah. if that's on it. Probably. Don't you have the DVD for Ready to Rumble? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know what? No, no. Okay, the VHS copy of Ready to Rumble I have, I got from you. You taped it off TV and, like, did your own, like, artwork on it. Yeah. So that's why I probably associated Ready to Rumble with you. Yeah, because, well, back then I actually liked wrestling. And I got another uh, regret of my life was getting you into wrestling. because you Yeah, you got me way too into wrestling. Well, you know, it's funny. Back then, when you gave me that tape... um, I was just like trying to get all the wrestling content I could because I was so obsessed with it at the time. Couldn't yeah. wait between Monday and Thursday, Brian, between SmackDown and uh, Raw. I needed shit to fill up my time in between. I watched Ready to Rumble a fucking ton. 
even though I knew it was a stupid movie. Yeah. And I knew the story was ridiculous. I still watched it a ton just because I liked wrestling. I knew I like wrestling. within the first five minutes of the movie when he sticks his hand down his pants and like puts his puts his like shit smelling hand over the drink and he's like, hey, does this drink smell like shit to you? I mean, that's I, a funny scene. I know. In hindsight now, it's like, it's pretty funny. But back then, I'm like, oh, what a stupid movie. I like how the guy's like, uh, how'd you drink it so far? It smells like your ass. He's like, just gotta work my way through it. <laughs> doesn't Macho Man show up and like body slam the guy? Yeah, there's a bunch of wrestling cameos. I haven't seen it yeah. in like 20 years, but. Anyhow. Biff released her next full length album, Purge, on September 4th, 2001. It was co produced by Desmond Don't Call Me Destiny's Child and Peter Carroll. Now, we're talking about Peter Carroll father of the guitar player from live on release uh he and biff have been close friends for a long time together they founded the management group her royal majesty's records as well as and that's also a record label as well as the health and wellness website mona lisa healing so this guy peter carroll he's been working with biff naked on a litany of projects well as far as desmond child goes the man is a straight up music legend He was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2008, and here's a sample of some of the hits he's written. I Was Made for Loving You by Kiss, Living on a Prayer, You Give Love a Bad Name, and Bad Medicine by Bon Jovi, Dude Looks Like a Lady by Aerosmith, and Living La Vida Loca by Ricky Martin. So lots of hair metal and Latin. I mean, it's just, those ones are just such... Uh legend songs that they sold so many copies this guy's probably grandkids are probably going to be living off those residuals yeah and you know what he wrote one song off this album and it may not have been Biff's biggest hit of her career but it's certainly her best known song I Love Myself Today and God I'm gonna get my way I'm leaving a pause so you can play. Yeah, I got what you're doing. I Love Myself Today was one of four singles released from Purge. None of them charted, uh, which is weird because I Love Myself Today got a freaking ton of airplay on Much Music and Edge 102. It was on Big Shiny Tunes 4, I believe. Yeah, that's about right. uh, It was everywhere. Biff Naked. Oh, okay. On the show RuPaul's Drag Race, to get eliminated, you got to lip sync for RuPaul. You want to say loophole. RuPaul. <laughs> so Biff Naked was a judge on an episode, and they had to lip sync for their lives to I Love Myself Today. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so he so this guy wrote it for her. She did not write it all, or did they co-write it together? Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only, the only... I don't have my notes in front of me. I wrote this script. <laughs> This is All what right. I put in it. I'm not right. here to answer your questions. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad this isn't like a university lecture where there's a Q&A <laughs> because you would just be sitting there like. Um, but no, the only reason I ask is because the, the lyrics are clearly about, you know, the up and down of, you know, obviously self-love and, uh, you know, yeah. uh, you know, uh, what sort I'm looking for. Uh, empowerment. 
empowerment, but like image, like self-image, self-worth, all these things. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's it almost seems weird that she didn't have like I I'd be surprised if she did not have a hand in writing that because it seems like a lot of her stuff is you know I was gonna say this before she does not she's like uh, Laura Jane Grace from Against Me. She's not one for the metaphors. She just hits you on the head with the blunt, like slaps you in the face with the, like this is the life story. I'm not gonna write in a bunch of cutesy yarn spin in here. I'm like, you're going to get the straight dope. You make a good point. All right, I'm looking this up. Purge album. Here we go. By Biff Naked. Okay. Hold on here, Brian. Now you got me curious. Okay, track listing. I love myself today. Oh. Yeah, I know. It was co-written. Okay, that makes more sense. All right. Yeah, yeah. She 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 co-wrote basically every song of the album. She just had help. This is the one song that Desmond Child gave her help on. Okay. He yeah. probably he probably helped her add that extra like hook or punch it up a little bit, make it more pop friendly, which it was. Yeah. So that'd be my guess, considering this guy's track record. But well, others it wasn't the only single from Purge. Um, other singles include Tango Shoes. Which was featured in the game Project Gotham Racing 2. I will also mention about Tango Shoes. Um, when I was in my first year of college, before you joined, my roommates were like your basic frat bros. However, they weren't bros, they were bras. Bras, I am bras. <laughs> um, they had a very interesting taste in music. And they make like gear up playlists, and you know they're they're big into like a lot of the same music I like. Like they like Sublime and they like Jurassic Five and stuff like that. Um, but I remember there's two weird, was two ones that stood out that was always on their playlists. One was Tango Shoes, that song always made it. They love that song, and the other was uh, from Tarzan, the Tarzan soundtrack. The Phil Collins that was like little little bop. His voice like scatting, and I'm like. This is on here. They're like, oh, yeah, man. Great song. Like, <laughs> you guys must be high. No. <laughs> well, I would take... But yeah, the, Tango uh, Shoes I heard a lot of in uh, in college. I like that song. I would take the, the sing-along mix that you, me, Dela, uh, Dan, and Dev came up with. Of course, Crowley wasn't there. I think it was. Yeah, but he never had a hand in anything. He'd just be like... Oh, hey. He'd probably be like, let's get some... Uh, Sharon Lewis and Bram, or uh, what's that guy's name? The uh, J- let's get some Jimmy Buffett. I like Jimmy Buffett. Yeah, but that just sounds like a Crowley staple. I don't know. Uh, what's his track? I can't remember his taste in music. He liked like like Nickelback and stuff like that. Oh, of course he did. Yeah, I think I don't remember. Yeah, he wasn't much of a music guy. The music he liked was like for movie soundtracks. He was one of those guys. You know the first thing he said to me when I first moved into the house? You're tall. No, he said, you better not be Dutch. Isn't that from undergrads? No, Austin Powers. Oh, okay. Because, uh, uh, what's his face? Michael Crane doesn't trust the Dutch. What was it that he says when he gets into the cab, Rocco and undergrads? I think it goes, you better not be Dutch. Yeah, he's like, Cabby, take me to the bars, and you better not be Dutch. And then he, the Cabby jacks up the rate right away. Jacks up the price, yeah. It's all pissed off. Okay, so I got I Love Myself Today was a single. Tango Shoes was a single. A Leader, which I thought was an awesome head-banging punk tune. Get up on me, you wake up me, get me a liar. They go, I need a 
Album's rocking kickoff track, Choking on the Truth. Those were all singles. I should also mention um, the song Dawn, which I didn't really like very much. Yeah. Uh, that was featured in the Stupid American Psycho 2 sequel uh, with Mila Kunis and William Shatner. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know what's annoying about that? Okay. Have you seen American Psycho? Yeah. It's a great movie. Okay. Spoilers! If you haven't seen it, skip ahead. Okay. We're not going to tag this with a timestamp. You just got to be lucky because we're not that we're not that professional. Um, you know how at the end, he might have just been crazy and not killed anyone? Yeah. That you're led to believe this? So the beginning of this movie... Clearly, they didn't watch American Psycho or understand it because Mila Kunis becomes a killer because Patrick Bateman kills her parents. And then as a little girl, she kills Patrick Bateman. Which doesn't make any sense because the revelation is that he's psychotic, but he hasn't killed anybody yet. He's just got psychotic tendencies. Yeah. So So this sequel, this bullshit sequel that went right to DVD... It's like they didn't watch the first movie. What's well, uh? Did you ever watch? Did you ever see the uh, butterfly effect? Uh no. You've been I pushing mean, me to see that for years. I think. I mean, it's, it's been so long since I've seen it. I might watch it tonight and just be like, "This is the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen." But I remember <laughs> like thinking it's not that bad. But basically, uh, all of these different like life paths go. It, the the breaking off point is uh, when these kids. Uh, blow up this mailbox and yeah. basically so what they try to do is he uh, what's his face uh, Ashton Kutcher one of his first real like dramatic roles he tries to like go back rewrite the past basically and each one mm-hmm. kind of has a disastrous effect and blah 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 anyway there's a deleted scene thank god it's a deleted scene where he goes back in time and he chokes himself out in the womb yeah, I heard about this infamous deleted the, scene. Yeah, wraps the umbilical cord around his neck. It's like, oh my god, that is so dumb. Yeah. <sighs> Babies with their womb, they're not that smart. No. But it's also, I'm just like... <laughs> it's kind of his grand plan when he gets, just gets when he gets there. He's just a baby in the womb. <sighs> but like, it also, like, there's a podcast about stuff like this. Where like, how does this get made? But it just makes you wonder, like... Over my time since college, I've had a couple of decent chestnuts of like film ideas or story ideas that just never came to fruition. That would have been a hell of a lot better than some of the turds that have been shadowed by this corporate Hollywood system. And it's just like, how? How does some of this crap get made? It's only getting tougher. That's true. Although you think it would be bigger with all the different streaming services and stuff like that. Uh, Yeah, it just depends how you want your movie distributed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To quote my anyway, anyway, um, Purge did terrific. It reached number eight on the album charts, wound up achieving gold status, and it would secure Biff Naked to date her only Juno nomination for Best Rock Album in 2002. You want to take a wild guess at who beat her for that uh, honor? 
Let's see, 2002 rock album. Give me three guesses. Don't tell me. I'm going to guess three. I'll give it two. Nickelback or Our Lady Peace? It was Nickelback. Of course. Yeah, no one could stop the juggernaut that was Silver Side Up. Uh, This album I thought was pretty good. More commercial than uh, her previous releases. But at this stage in her career, that's to be expected. I like the album's overall vibe. The power chords, the punk drumming mixed with the synth keyboards. I actually really liked how that became her kind of signature sound on here. Um, Some of the ballads, again, that's where it kind of loses me a little. Some of the ballads just didn't work for me. I still think this is a worthwhile listen, though. I still think it's a good album. Uh, the best songs, aside from the singles, I liked October Song and Story of My Life. Brian, what did you think of Purge? Yeah, you you pretty much summed it up. It was, uh, again, a, a little less balanced than, like, Ibificus. Um, hmm. And uh, so I did feel, despite the Juno success, I don't know, I felt it wasn't a step up. I thought it was kind of compared but like the songs that were good were very good so yeah so i think that's that's the thing is this you know our our thing with diff is we like her fast stuff yeah we're not you know we can do without the slow stuff yeah yeah where was that well a trend that seems we don't like slow despite the fact that we are both very slow moving people oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) Ah. i eat fast i drive fast but I walk very slow, despite these long dancers' legs. I'm in no rush. Yeah, that's... You know, when people say that, they're like, why do you walk so slow? I'm like, eh, I got time. I'm not <laughs> You know, it's funny. For two guys that move as slow as you and me, you'd figure that we'd be a lot more laid back. How <laughs> <laughs> usually angry, uptight people are <laughs> 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 around everywhere. <laughs> You're just... <laughs> Just gritting our teeth, moving in slow motion, <laughs> taking our time with our anger, noticing new things to get angry about. Yeah, like people walking past us on the street and we're getting angry at them for passing us. Oh, that son of a bitch. <laughs> that happened to me the other night. Bryn was feeding Fred before we had to put him to bed. I'm like beside her and I'm just kind of dozing off thinking about my day. And I'm thinking about this guy who like angered me at work. And apparently she looks at me and goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, what? She goes, you're making the angriest face. And I guess I was like. <laughs> she goes, can't you think quietly? <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I need to learn how to relax. <laughs> I could justify moving slowly. <laughs> anyway, where was I? Oh, here we go. A trend that we seem to notice on Canada FM is that after a few successful albums in the North, many artists will put a, di- a disc specifically designed to shine some light on their back catalog as they try to make a move to an American audience. Biff did exactly that in 2003 with the release of Essentially Naked. It's a greatest hits album with 22 tracks, including three remixes and a couple of unreleased tracks that were put out as singles. Uh, Rich and Filthy and Back in the Day. I recommend both tracks, especially Back in the Day, as it includes some very specific references to Southern Ontario highways, which uh, we know a lot about. (laughs) 
Next up for Biff Naked, Super Beautiful Monster, which was released on June 28, 2005. And according to legend, Biff and her team had written and recorded and produced 50 tracks in this recording session. And they were given the daunting task of narrowing that list of 50 songs to a lucky number 13. The album was co-produced by Kevin Kaddish, whose biggest success would come nine years after the release of Super Beautiful Monster, uh, when he would uh, write the song that would put Megan Trainer on that on the map, all about that bass. Ooh. <laughs> That's the one thing when I worked uh, at uh, at Magic, like the the dance station. Yeah. That's the one singer no one could stand. No one could figure out what the appeal of Megan Trainer was. Is she didn't she, is she that same person who sings that like you can't sit with us? Uh no. There was a girl, you always had a problem. She's like, You can't sit with us, and you always had a problem with it. She's someone relatively No, it was on a t shirt. Yeah. And I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know it was a thing that were people were saying. Okay, so put it okay, here's the story. Here's the story. This group of girls, I was leaving my job in Perry Sound. This is how, by the way, how idiotic I was when I was in my late 20s. Was. And still This are. group of girls, like 15, walked past me. And one of them was wearing a shirt that says, you can't sit with us. And I said out loud, what a bitch. Because <laughs> I thought it was ex- exclusionary. I thought it was bullying. I thought it was just, you know, you're proud to be kicking people off your table. I did not know. Pardon me? It was a Mean Girls reference, right? I'm not sure if it was a Mean Girls reference, but it's like an internet thing. That you can't sit with us isn't supposed to mean... um, Isn't supposed to be like a bullying thing or an exclusionary thing. It's supposed to be, oh, we look so good. We look so fly. No one can touch us. No one can sit with us. And I'm like, it doesn't read that way. No. Now, I did not get in this little girl's face and call her a bitch. <laughs> I, I want to make that perfectly clear. I'm not a psycho. I just kind of said it out loud to nothing. Okay? Um, and I found that out later, that that's what that meant. Uh, so it wasn't based on a song. It was just a stupid internet thing. Okay. And because I was so unintelligent when it came to all things internet, um, I didn't get it. And it was Alicia Cara who had a song where she said, um, what's it called? We will leave those empty chairs for those who say we can't sit there. Yeah. We're fine all by ourselves. And song. when I heard that, I went, yes! <laughs> you go, Alicia Cara! Yeah, that's Wild Things, right? That's a great song. Yeah, it's a terrific song. Anyway. <laughs> I can't, this is what, this is it. This is our friendship. We just talked about us being so tightly wound and us being so angry. And what do we do? We tell each other little stories and remind each other of past times when we were angry. So the other person has to tell that story and get angry again. Uh, I mean, you know, it could be something fresh hot off the presses and it doesn't take much to wind either of us up. Yeah. Like I I went to visit our friends, Brandon and Mike today and uh, this truck Every two seconds on the highway, he would come right up my ass 
and then just like slowly back away. And I was ready to like turn around and just like throw something out my window. I'm like, what the hell is this asshole doing? And he just kept like the whole way up to 403, just right up my ass. And then oh, yeah. back away. I'm like, go around, you craver. Go around, you bunch of crazies. Did but, you do the old trick and put your four ways on? No, because he kept backing off. So I didn't know what the hell this guy's deal oh. was. So I was like, if he had stayed up my ass, then I definitely would have. But he kept backing off. He said it was off. a truck driver? It was, it was just a truck. Oh, it wasn't like a transport. No, no, just like a. Like oh, a truck. okay. I was gonna say a transport. He was doing that. He might have been falling asleep. Maybe. Yeah, and then he's waking himself up. That's when he hits the. Yeah. Hits the gas. Yeah. Anyway, I should also note that um, the other co-producer of this album, <laughs> who I oh, there it is. I read my script wrong. We'll go back. So yeah, so Kevin Caddish was a co-producer. He wrote all about that bass by Megan Trainer. Uh, oh yeah, well, we'll boo it again. You know bugs me about this, that song. It's supposed to be like, like big girl love, right? Like I'm big. I'm not ashamed of my body. You know what I mean? But Megan Trainer's not that big. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure she was like wearing some prosthetics to make herself look bigger. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's like um... it's like if Perry Como released "Sing It Loud and Back" and I'm proud. <laughs> did you ever see that movie uh i forget the girl's name but it was the the movie was called the duff i've heard of it um so it's the, you, you've seen scott pilgrim right yes it's the girl who is the uh one of the seven evil exes the one girl it was like yes i forget her name i know it starts with an name with Whitman? 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. She played uh, Bill Pullman's daughter in the original Independence Day and then became an actress as an adult, but for some reason they recast her role in the sequel. That makes no sense. Made no sense, yeah. But anyway, so Mae Whitman was that designated ugly fat friend. That's what the Duff stood for. And Jesus. like, But she's not... It was, it was like a teenage like Netflix rom-com. It's actually pretty funny, all things considered, but like, she's not... A, she's pretty cute, and she's not big. So it's like, if that's Hollywood's example of, like, the ugly fat friend, then, like, your average Jane, you know, you know, plain Jane, it stands no shot. Well, this is the thing. What it is is, um, and things have changed since then. If they were to make this movie today, they would actually go like six, seven years ago. Oh, I I think she's fast. (laughs) They would make the movie today. They would go to high schools, get drama kids to audition for this, and find a girl that (laughs) sounds so mean. (laughs) Better represents that title. No, that's. I mean, that's fair because I mean, like I said, like for Mae Whitman to be that. Yeah, it's no bueno, no good. Yeah. Okay, back on track. <laughs> it's funny every time I boo. Every time you mention all about that bass, I just go boo, and then it just changes the subject. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what I wanted to say was the other co-producer of this album was Ugly Kid Joe guitarist Dave Fortman, who's also worked almost exclusively in the hard rock genre, producing records for Evanescence, Godsmack, and Mudvayne, and he also produced a record for Simple Plan. No boo for Simple Plan. <laughs> I, I booed him a bunch. I'll, I'll boo him again later. Just like Purge, four singles were released from Super Beautiful Monster, the hard-rocking but kind of depressing Letdown, which peaked at number 20 on the rock charts. Semicolon, the Brian Lasto. <laughs> 
You also had the motivational every day, which kind of reminded me of Alive by Edwin. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. And he had the world is over, a uh, little acoustic synth ditty. But also, she decided to do what I think is something that you shouldn't do. And I've talked about this before. Are you talking about She released... Pardon me? You talking about her cover? Yeah. She released a cover of a well-known song as a single. Metallica's Nothing Else Matters. And nothing else matters. Can I? I'll. I think I wrote this in my notes. Speak freely, Ted. Open because I don't want to quite get into the review of the album just yet. But I, I'm going to skip ahead. If she takes this cover of Metallica's "Nothing Else Matters" off the album entirely, it would greatly improve the album. Hmm. She tacks it right in the middle. Instead, like, even if it was at the end. Like a hidden track? Yeah! Then I'd be okay with it. But it just took me right out of my groove. I was enjoying stuff. And then this, like, the Metallica one, I don't even know if I like that version that much. It's just, it's it, like, remember I talked about doing the Jack Soul episode with, like, been caught stealing? Yeah. That's just a song that's just always been there. Yeah. So I've always thought, like, oh, it's just good. Because it's always been there. But then she does it, it's just slow. And it just, it didn't work for me. See, it's very interesting. Normally, you and I are always uh, in simpatico with this type of stuff, but I actually really liked it because it'll really. Tell you, I'll tell you why. You know, uh, you know, Metallica since the '80s or late '70s, whenever the hell they came out, was uh, always been you know hard rocking, testosterone driven, and then they uh, they do these ones where they slow down the song because the nothing else matters is heavier than hers, but it's still very slow. Uh, the tempo and everything's still pretty much on point. Um, but then you get this aggression, but with the female voice, it like it kind of like almost like it's a nice counterbalance. Not to mention, you know, some of the lyrics in there where it's like, uh, I, I can't remember all the lyrics, but she's like, this life is ours. Like I did it our way. Like, cause she's always been kind of an individual. Right. So I think she really mm-hmm. connected with that song. Um, and so the, some of the lyrical content, that uh so i think that's why she chose to do it and um but yeah i i liked it he makes some good points yeah we read into it a lot more than i did yeah <laughs> that's how this brain that's works a good thing there, that's a good thing <laughs> uh okay well then uh with that in mind uh, that, i get to the sales said, 
sorry that being said i will yeah. say i do agree the placement of it is odd but i i've noticed in a lot of her songs i feel like some of the song placement is weird like she has better songs to kick off albums but she puts like a lot of them she starts with slow ones and yeah. builds up instead of like except for the first album where she really kicks it off with everything a lot of them were kind of slower so she definitely whoever picks the song order if it's her or producer should have got their head examined but uh, well so, then with that in mind what did you think of super beautiful monster well you can finish your stats first and then uh, we'll... uh the only thing i had left was album sales and you know reached number 12 in the canadian album charts there you go okay <laughs> uh, no i liked it um I thought it was really interesting with, uh, what was the two songs? There was I Want and, uh, what is it? The La- uh, Funeral of a Good Girl, where it's like, she's all horned up. And, uh, okay. It's just very sexual. <laughs> <laughs> and, or no, sorry. I think they're on two different albums because I think I Want is, but there's another one that's very sexual where she's like, ah, oh, shit, I can't remember where she's, it sounds like she's getting it on in the booth. Oh, it's like there's a lot of like sexual noises and heavy breathing and panting and stuff like that. So, uh, but either way, there's a that's something that's new is the some of those uh, the more sexual stuff. But um, what is it? Uh, another song? Yeah. Oh, it's yeah you. That's the one. Sorry, it's yeah you. That was the other sexual one. Um, but let down was good. Abandonment was good. A lot of good stuff here. And uh, yeah, I liked it. See, I, I'm thumbs in the middle on it. Because it's not just Nothing Else Matters. I thought um, she played it very safe on this album. It still kind of feels like Purge. Well, I will say this. like When I say there's a lot of good stuff on here, but that being said, it's another unbalanced album. Because as I look at the track list, like, I wasn't that big on Henry. That's a real bummer. Well, I thought Henry was like... After Henry's when that album kind of ran out of steam. Yeah, because like Ladybug Waltz was really slow and uh, the Question Song and After a While were all kind of slower, just not, didn't have that pop. Here we go. I'm just looking here. Yeah. So Henry, I gave a little little heart to on Spotify. But The World is Over, the Question Song, Ladybug Waltz, and After a While, just, I I ran out of steam there. And before that, I wasn't crazy about Every Day. Or nothing like else matters. But I liked every other song. So it's really kind of one of those 50-50 albums. Right. Where she maybe she tried to top load it. Yeah. Yeah. That happens sometimes. And I think that's a producer call. But anyway. I thought she just kind of played it a little too safe here. That's fair. In 2006, Biff would appear on the song Fucker by the extreme metal band strapping young lads it's actually a very fun song and it's cool to hear biff sing on a uh, new metal track um and she's been a guest vocalist for a lot of acts not just canadian throughout the world uh actually canadian punk legends uh snfu uh whose drummer actually did radio in thunder bay for a while i found out are you frozen or just staring at me with that look i gotta tell you brian i don't like the way you're looking at me right now you knock that off? I think you're frozen. Because you're just staring at me. And he's gone. There you are. You had, when you froze, you had the meanest look on your face. You're like, 
And I kept going. It, it took me a second to realize you were frozen. Then I would look, I gotta tell you, Brian, don't like the way you're looking at me right now. <laughs> this is gonna be hilarious because the the program that we're recording in, uh, yeah. you have your audio track and I have mine. So when when I think you're frozen, I'm literally scatting to myself. I'm just sitting here like, oh, Ted's frozen. I'm a ski bop. Ski bop. <laughs> and you're just like, wow, Brian's really angry about something. Well, your your angry face got me angry. <laughs> so here go. Why has this episode been so fucking angry? I don't know. I mean, the nature of the aggressive music, Biff. I mean, for as funny as she That's is, true. she's she's a very personal person, but uh, her music is very agitated. <laughs> That's true. It's a, it's a she makes aggressive music, but I you I like aggressive music and I like her music. But, anyway, uh, you were I was so... saying the band SNFU, punk legends from Canada. Right. Their drummer actually used to do radio in Thunder Bay. Huh. I never crossed paths with him. He's not in radio here anymore, but he used to. Anyhow, Biff has been a guest star on his tracks, uh, "One Last Love Shove" and "You Make Me Thick." Uh, as well as the hip hop group Dead Celebrity Status song in this day and age, which I couldn't find, but I was eager to hear that because I want to hear what Biff would sound like on a hip hop track. I think that'd be cool. Hmm. We heard how Swollen Members utilize Sarah McLaughlin to our surprise, and that's one of their best songs. So, you want a Biff fun a fact about cool. Sarah McLaughlin? Yeah. She saved Reverend Run's life. Really? Yeah. So, uh, apparently, Reverend Run from Run DMC uh, was contemplating taking his own life at a point. And he was very depressed. And I think he had a substance abuse problem. And okay. the song Angel by Sarah McLachlan, like, turned it around. Whoa! Yeah, apparently, uh, I read a, a fun fact about that. I mean, it's, it's not so fun, but it's an interesting fact. But uh, Very interesting. Uh, yeah, because I know he wrote a book, like a bi uh, biography, which I got to pick up. I don't know if he talks about that particular instance, but he did talk about his recovery and everything and how he's... Did he ever run into Sarah McLaughlin? Think? I think I think they performed it together or something. I can't remember. I just I saw it on Whoa. a list of like these like fun facts about Sarah McLaughlin. So, but I think they, at least if nothing else, they spoke about it, but... Uh, if it was not for us doing Canada FM, I would have no idea Sarah McLaughlin ever had any connection to the hip hop world. Well, do you know what it was? Well, yeah, there's the Swollen Members thing, but uh, when yeah. you when you mentioned the uh, Home for Arrest thing, when yeah, uh, and that when I looked at all the people in there, and I just googled just on happenstance, I'm like, eh, what's that Sarah McLaughlin up to? And then so I was like flipping through the pictures, and then I saw a picture of Reverend Run. It's like how the hell are these two connected? So that's what I just brought me to the list. All right. As fascinating as that was, and it was an interesting story. This episode is about Biff Naked. Whatever. Not Sarah McLaughlin. In 2007, Biff got married for the second time. This was to Vancouver Sun sports writer, Ian Walker. Uh, unfortunately or fortunately, depending how you look at it, uh, the marriage would not last, and they'd get divorced in 2011. Then in 2008, Biff's life would change forever when she would be diagnosed with breast cancer. And I actually remember being really pissed off when I heard about that. I'm like, she's straight edge. She doesn't smoke. She doesn't drink. How the fuck did she get cancer? And it was just one of those reminders that the demon cancer is always lur lurking, no matter how healthy you are. 
Well, not only that, it's it's in the genes. Like some people are predetermined yeah. for a certain thing. Like I, especially with breast cancer, that's one of those genetic ones. Yeah, like yeah. heart disease and cancer both run in my family. So I should probably work on my anger and be staying calm. Otherwise, like literally one of these days through the podcast, I'll just be like, ah, I'm coming, Elizabeth. <laughs> That would be good though, because at least the other one could call nine one one. Unless we're competitive. Oh, you're gonna beat me to the heart attack, are you? I don't think so. <laughs> but I have one. Easy, Farley. I don't know. Anyway, um, but yes, it just goes to show you that cancer can strike uh, basically anybody, no matter how well they take care of themselves. Well, she underwent a lumpectomy and chemotherapy. And she even recorded most of the tracks for her album, The Promise, while she was receiving chemo treatments. And the treatments worked. Biff is currently cancer-free and has become an advocate for breast cancer awareness. She actually has the word survivor tattooed on her left arm, a tattoo that she says is her favorite tattoo of the many that she has. And she even appeared in the Simple Play on Music video for Save You with other cancer survivors like Sharon Osbourne Kevin Hearn of the Bare Naked Ladies, and Saku Koivu of the Montreal Canadiens. Now, The Promise was released on May 5th, 2009, and she dedicated it to her fans for staying by her side as she was battling cancer. Uh, it was produced by Jason Dar, who wrote a couple of songs on this album. He plays guitar in there, too. Brian, do you remember the band Out of Your Mouth? No. Well, they're probably about as good as Alien Ant Farm okay. in the fact that their one hit was a cover. Oh. But they did a cover of music by Madonna. Do you remember that now? It's uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop it in right here because it's gonna definitely jog some memories because it's I do yeah. remember that. Anyway, that was Jason Dar's band. Uh, and a quick story about Jason Dar before we continue talking about the album. As if I need to say that. I wrote that in the script. A quick story, then we'll get back to the album. We've been beyond at Scott and all night. <laughs> Going around the world and back before we even got into this. Um, after Out of Your Mouth broke up, he formed a band called Neurosonic. And they actually had some success in like the uh, like Ozfest scene and like county fair metal right. shows things but they were accused in 2006 of being terrorists by the fbi dar's pedal board was seized by the tsa as they believed it to be an explosive device and the band's set list the fbi thought were terrorist codes that's hilarious uh he was able to explain to the fbi they were just a band and after a few days he got his pedal board back so yeah that's a little story about him. What a bunch of squares taking down a poor musician. <laughs> That's a 2006. That was still the post 9-11 world. That's true. You know, they're very tough at the border. Remember when I tried to get how mad that guy got at me when I tried to get it across without my passport? Yeah, but it wasn't mandatory yet. It was just preferred. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and all I asked you to do was to play along. Just give me your give me your birth certificate, Brian. It'll be okay. Just give me your birth certificate. Parker was willing to play ball. Not you though. 
da, da, da. Just sticking your passport out, shaking it at me. <laughs> All you had to do was just play ball, but you wouldn't do it. What do you want? I paid money for that passport. I wanted to use it. It's not my fault you were a teddy drags his feet. <laughs> I don't know. It didn't have any alliteration. Uh, Teddy too slow? There you go. There you go. Yeah. How pathetic is this? I'm great at insulting myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, fans were excited about The Promise, and it would reach number 30 on the Canadian album charts. Biff would release three singles from this disc. There was Fuck You Too, which has a cool 1950s drive-in rock and roll vibe to it. Uh, I actually really loved this one. Sick. Oh. Did I love Sick or did I love the Fuck You Too? I love Sick. Uh, I like both of them. Uh, it was a hard rock tune, Sick, that seems to highlight some of the pain that she went through during chemotherapy. And King of Karma, an upbeat rock song about some asshole. Um, I really like this album. In fact, I think this is Biff Naked's best album. <laughs> What are you mugging at me for? I don't know. No one knows what you're doing. This is an audio medium. I know. But I was waiting for what? you. To, I was waiting for you to finish talking. All right, I agree with you. The uh, yes, I I thought I wasn't as big on sick as you. I thought it was okay, but I thought it really took a turn at fuck you too, and then like honeybee, and then my innocence, red flag, all these ones that just like literally just took off from there. And I thought, yeah, was, I think it's is the best one. I have to listen to it again because my notes are weird. I think I meant to say "fuck you too" was the one I really, really loved and not sick, but I just okay. wrote it like I think yeah, I hit a comma when I meant to hit a period. The first few songs start off really slow, like Blue Jay and everything, but then at like it starts to pick up steam. And then yeah, Honey, Blue Jay Honey, was the only song I didn't like. Honey, Honey Bee was great. It really uh, blows up from Honey Bee. Oh, Honey Bee was awesome. Yeah, Honey Bee. You know what I really like? I, I I really like Crash and Burn, the opening track. Because she, that is some of the best singing I've ever heard Biff Naked do. And she is going full out on that song. It kind of reminded me of the song Praying by Kesha. Do you remember that one? Um, what's that? That was the one she wrote about Dr. Luke. Right. That's not the one she did with Macklemore, right? No. Okay. Then, no. It's a great song, but it's very similar to the fact that this is just her laying her guts on the floor. And I thought that's like one of her best vocal performances of her career. Was- uh, what else? You had Honey Bee. I also liked Red Flag, Ciao Bella, and River of Fire. Yeah. And that's kind of a reggae song. So she really yeah. sounds like Gwen Stefani on that one. Yeah. <laughs> um. Have you ever, we talked about this, the term uh, butt rock? Yep. Where, you know, butt rock would apply to like a nickelback or, you know, a five finger death punch or a, uh, a, uh, ah, jeez, switch foot, those kind of bands. Uh, they just radio rock is another way of putting it. The right. type of rock you hear on radio stations. Uh, Dars, that's his playground, right? However, with Biff's unique voice, this is where that butt rock or radio rock sound really works well. Because with a guy just doing some big, you know, metal heaving voice, 
It just gets boring. Biff's voice is unique. Biff's, Biff's voice, well, it's, it's a female voice. It's unique. It's got so much character to it that it's a really, really good match for her, that genre. It's kind of like, you ever hear the band uh, Hailstorm? No. Hailstorm does the butt rock thing, right? They do the county fair circuit. The music is kind of like that. But their lead singer, Lizzie Hale, has a great voice. And it's not that heaving sound. <laughs> so it, it really works, that that type of radio rock sound. And I think it really, really worked well with uh, with Biff here. So, yeah. I was really big on this album. I thought it yeah. was her best one. Big Siskels all around. There you go. Weird that you said that. Weird that you just mentioned Gene Siskel. <laughs> Okay, so I was going to bring up the point that you can't listen uh, to The Promise on Spotify and that it's only available to listen to on YouTube. And I wrote in my notes, cut to the Roger Ebert clip of The Waving <laughs> Finger of Shame. Remember he used to do that when movies wouldn't uh, screen for critics? I thought they were. He also did that if a movie was so bad that he couldn't even like give it even like half a star. No, no, it was when he couldn't review it. Oh, okay, he do the way finger shame. It was funny because uh, Roper would always introduce it, and he goes, "Unfortunately, uh, Grown Ups didn't screen for critics, so we can't review it. So we have to give it." And then it cuts to Ebert. The way finger. It's funny. Hey, <laughs> throw that clip in if you can. There you go. That's good stuff. Hopefully I'll be able to find it. Otherwise we look like doofuses. Yeah, like we haven't looked like doofuses the whole episode. Too (laughs) shady. Well, after this, Biff would release an acoustic album called Biff Naked Forever in December of 2012, which featured three brand new studio tracks. Uh, two uh, Two of them were released as singles. No one knows. It's a good little song, and the only one which was really light and poppy, and I did not care for it. After uh, such a hard, aggressive album like The Promise, it was tough to get into something so light. Uh, 2013 would be a big year, personally, for Biff. She was invited to be the keynote speaker at the University of Fraser Valley's International Women's Day celebration. And while there, the school surprised her with an honorary doctorate. So that's cool. I don't like that. That... Yeah, I said I what? don't like that. I don't like. Why don't you when, like that? I don't like when celebrities get honorary doctorates. Like, because technically, I know it's an honorary, but they get the technically they could be called doctor or honorary doctor. But still, okay. If you own a plot of land in Scotland, you can be called lord. <laughs> There's a website that you, it's like twenty five bucks. They sell these along with the whole registration to call yourself lord. Do you want to be Lord Brian Last? It'll cost you 25 bucks. Yeah, Lord's already ruined it for me. <laughs> Singer Lord? Yes. It'd be funny because she'd be Lady. That's true. So she'd be Lady Lord. <laughs> you get to be Lord. Lord Last. That sounds terrible. It's got a nice ring to it. Good little re- alliteration. Anyhow. Where was I? Oh, yeah. You don't like these phony doctors, celebrity doctors. Yes. <laughs> no, no, no. The, actually, the only celebrity I can ever think of who got the honorary doctorate who actually used it was Bill Cosby. Ugh. He was always Dr. William Cosby on things. 
What a pretentious. You know, there was a, I mean, of all the terrible things he's already done. Yeah. Apparently, one of his things that he did when he was in stand-up, he would force, he'd have a meal before his show, right? And uh-huh. uh, so the, the wait staff would bring it to him in his dressing room. He would force them to stand there while he eats it. It's like eye contact while I eat. Just to show, like, Lord, this weird power. Dominance. Yeah. Yeah. It was so weird. Well. But that's just, get in line with the long it, list of other crimes. fucked out on the list. It's like <laughs> that Norm joke. It's like, <laughs> ah, I heard that. My friend Pat Oswald said the worst thing about Cosby was the hypocrisy. <laughs> I think it was the raping. tell that on uh, comedians and cars yeah i told that to jerry but it's also part of his act oh, okay and he's like you know the hypocrisy would be way down the list <laughs> afterward i'd say the drugging and then the scheming and that may be the hypocrisy yeah it's, got, it's a whole bit it's funny yeah yeah uh Okay, in 2016, Biff would get married for the third time, and, you know, maybe the final time, they seem very happy, to Steve Allen. No, not the former host of The Tonight Show. This is a guy she met with through one of her former bandmates years ago, and they seem happy together. Biff would stay pretty quiet for the next five years before she released the non-album single Heavy with The Snake in the Chain in 2018. Uh, their Facebook page describes them as a dark room meeting between industrial, electro, rock, punk, disco, and trippy retro love ballads. I should also note that The Snake in the Chain has not posted anything since 2018, and their profile picture is a picture of Biff naked. So I have no idea what to think about The Snake of the Ch- Snake in the Chain. <laughs> The song itself, though, kind of has a cool vibe to it. Kind of like Imagine Closer by Nine Inch Nails, scrubbed with Purell, and given a little bit of dash of that Tea Party Moroccan roll. Mm. That's what you get with that song. Okay. Yeah. So a cleaned up version of Closer. Yeah. Uh, Then in 2020, Biff had planned to release her latest album, Champion. (laughs) However, issues surrounding her label and the pandemic had delayed the release of that album indefinitely. Uh, she says it's ready to go. She's already out playing shows across the country right now as we speak. Uh, she's got a big Pride event coming up for Canadian Music Week in Toronto, which will likely have already happened by the time this episode's released. I think it's happening on Thursday, so it's okay. happened already. But uh, she's also promoting a solo show in Red Deer on August 9th. So if you're listening to us in Alberta, which Max is, isn't he? Yeah, but he's in Calgary. Oh, how far away is Red Deer? Come on, geography wizard. You're supposed to know. I don't things. know Alberta geography. <laughs> you said that's not a geography question. That's a travel question. You freaking maroon. Part of tra- uh, tra- part of geography is knowing, like, oh, where this is in relation to this. I'm at what city? City is in which state and which province? Not how far it is in between two destinations. That's a Google Maps question. Google Maps. Yeah. Anyway, uh, she has, however, released a couple of singles that can I can only assume were intended to be on the album Champion. Uh, Jim was released in 2020 and Broke Into Your Car came out in 2021. And she's taken a very different direction with this album. It is very synth heavy. 
actually kind of reminds me, we're talking about music by Madonna from Out of Your Mouth. It kind of reminds me of that era of Madonna, that early, like, 2000s Madonna. So, takes some getting used to, but, pardon me? Like the Ray of Light, Die Another Day Madonna? More Die Another Day than Ray of Light. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Takes a little bit of getting used to hearing Biff doing something completely different and pretty pop, but uh, kudos to her for trying something new. I mean, the, the, uh, the Boomtang Boy Spaceman worked. That's pretty pop. Yeah, this is different, though. This is like, uh, you know what? You would know better than me because you're a little more savvy with the new stuff. Um, it was kind. It's kind of like that indie synth pop. Okay. That's been a big thing. Yeah. Because I try to come up with a bunch of bands for the script, yeah. and I would look them up just to make sure. And like, no, they weren't listed as like indie synth pop. So I was like, oh, okay, well, never mind. <laughs> Apparently, don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, what, what are a couple of bands I would be like? Um, like indie synth pop. I mean, there's like churches, um, Miami horror. Uh, there's a good one from Alberta. Oh, what the hell is their name? I'm gonna Google it right now. Um, shit. I actually have their album. Um, well, I had it on my computer before it crashed. Give me a second here. Uh, let's see. Other synth pop. Uh, I mean, The Naked and Famous from New Zealand. Um, that's kind of like that dream pop stuff. Uh, cut copy. Naked from... and Famous is the one that does that song. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I like that yeah. song. Uh, there's cut copy. There's there's tons of stuff. Oh, yeah, cut copy. I'm trying to find that song. I forgot the band's name. Hearts on Fire. Hearts on Fire. That's good, too. Um, let's see. Sorry, give me two seconds. Going to cut all this part out. And... <laughs> I would tell you about that. <laughs> Purity <laughs> Ring. That's it. Purity oh, Ring. They're, they're good. Uh, so, yeah, there's a bunch. Those are probably the more mainstream ones. I'm sure there's probably some hipsters that are like, yeah, you're, you're going to do this one. Yeah, like, kiss my dish rag. I don't like, I don't like, <laughs> that joke, but I don't care. Okay, well, we reached the end of the episode. You are up to date, as up to date as you're going to be a Biff Naked. My question to you is, because I am actually having a hard time trying to figure this out, especially with the lack of female representation in the rock scene in the early 2000s, why Biff Naked wasn't a bigger deal south of the border? Um, if I had to venture a guess, the late 90s, early 2000s, I mean, you, the yes, she was under, like the rock genre was underrepresented by women, but, mm-hmm. you know, there was the kind of brief third i guess it'd be a second or third wave of feminism in the 90s with the lilith fair and but it was a lot more soft rock you got a lot of female like disciples of like Joni mitchell and stuff like that like uh uh and but like look at alanis alanis was one of the biggest selling artists probably in that like little pocket and i was thinking about this because i knew we'd talk about this at the end of the episode i think there's a slight era of chauvinism where they're like they don't like biff's in your face kind of style that people might like uh because it almost feel like a woman was like lecturing them if that makes sense like we don't want to because i'm also picturing the live show and i'm sure biff loves to have fun but i also feel like it's like a bunch of dudes 
or who may have had some chauvinistic tendencies, maybe because of the era they were in or whatever. They might have just been like, oh, I feel like this girl would just lecture us on stage. You know what I mean? Uh, whereas, like, Alanis had that chip on her shoulder with some of the stuff, but, like, she, like, in interviews and all these other things, she didn't try to have that, like, look how aggressive I am. You know what I mean? She was just kind of this long-haired kind of pseudo-hippie chick, right? I, I, I think chauvinism probably had something to do with it. Because at that point in you know, rock music, I actually went through because I, I went, okay, what's her biggest hit? What song of Biff Naked's would have the biggest chance to make it to the States? And I went with I Love Myself Today because that's such a catchy song and there's really no reason why that shouldn't have been a hit on US radio. Yeah. So I looked through the charts of 2001 and I went down the list to try to find the top song sung by a female on the modern rock charts. You know what I ended up with? What's that? It's not even her song. It was uh, Southside by Moby featuring Gwen Stefani. Wow. And then after that, you could even argue that it's not even a rock song. It was Thank You by Dido. Huh. So they were, they were scraping. But you also For got... female talent at the time on the, on the air. So but I, I can't figure out why... A song like that that is such a bop and is such an earworm. You also got to remember radio stations would be cramming for it. You also got to remember that uh, the what's I going to say in the late nineties, early two thousands, there was a plethora of pop and R and B stars that were female. So maybe they're like that's their lane. That's where they should stay in it. And I'm not saying that's right, but I'm just saying maybe they're like. Well, we don't have to give. You're this. coming from the point of view of an executive. Yes, I yeah. see what you mean. Like, because it, it is very racist and sexist the decisions that get made in these boardrooms. Well, I mean, like, look at if when like we watched that Fishbone documentary. One of the reasons yeah. why why Fishbone fell through the cracks is because you know they're you know there's black rock and roll and white rock and roll, and these guys were black, but they were playing what was deemed like almost like white music, and so they're like. What do we do with these guys? And they, so they fell through the cracks because yeah. rock, rock and roll, like everything, was segregated. But like a rock and roll woman shouldn't be hard to market. But also, I mean, you got to remember too, like the the Go Go's had broken up, Katrina and the Waves, all that stuff. Like she Biff Naked was like a, a, a decade too early. I think. Oh, if, but in the nineties, you still had the Cranberries. Uh, you still had. Uh, like L7 and uh, Bell and Sebastian. Though they didn't really have radio hits. Yeah, they're around. But also, Bell and Sebastian aren't hard rocking. They're pretty like soft, aren't they? I never really listened to them. I don't know. I don't really listen to them. Okay, they they were referenced in that movie Five Hundred Days of Summer. That's like indie hipster shit. They're definitely not rock. Am I even thinking of Bell and Sebastian, or am I thinking of someone else? You're definitely thinking of somebody else. Who's the girl that does Portlandia with? Fred Armisen. What was her band? That's oh, what I'm thinking of. Oh, you're thinking of Amy Mann's band, Till Tuesday. Oh, she was in another band. It wasn't Till Tuesday. Because uh, Till Tuesday was a little bit like late '80s, right? Yeah, they were like they were kind of like a they were okay. kind of like a new wave rock kind of thing. Portlandia. Carrie Brownstone. That's her name, right? Carrie Brownstone. All right, she was a... Slater Kinney. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not Bell and Sebastian. Slater Kinney. Yeah, you're way up. I I don't know. They had name. They're names. Yeah, 
Ames, Bella Sebastian, Slater Kitty, Bert and Ernie. <laughs> okay, they're just names. Anyway, Slater Kitty's what I meant. Okay. Sorry, I got it mixed up. Oh, God. Every ounce of credibility has gone out the window <laughs> for me in this episode. Um, but like, you, you had rock and go- we weren't too far off from this is right in between like the end of the 90s and then we were about to get Amy Lee and we were about to get the like the distillers. And that actually was I was why really, could Biff naked fill that gap? That was my other thing, too, is I was just about to say music is cyclical. Right. And so maybe it's not out of chauvinism that they're like maybe having trouble uh, doing it. It's maybe because it's like she's not really hot right now. And it's like it's one of those things. It's always hard being the first one through the door. And so uh, maybe if, you know, if her cancer diagnosis, because I was thinking about that, too, about that era. I was like, maybe if she didn't kind of like, I know she still put out music, but there was a bit of a gap between. um what was the third album? Uh, the the fourth well, one. Purge is the third. They need Super Beautiful Monster. Yeah, sorry. Between Purge and Super Beautiful Monster. Or no, sorry. Super Beautiful Monster and then... Um, the Promise? Yeah, thank you. There was a rather large gap and that's where she missed her window, I think, to really pop because that's when Evanescence and all those bands were really going off. And so, unfortunately, she can't help that. She was battling cancer. But I think that was the window for her to kind of latch on to some of these things you know uh play some of those festivals that were really popular um but that's beyond her control but it, it is one of those things it's uh i think she it was a little too early or too late to catch the the the, the crest of musical trends that could be another thing so there's many factors at play but i mean she's still having a great career so it's not like it's not like she was a, a never was. Otherwise, we wouldn't, wouldn't even be talking about her. She's had. I was going to say, yeah, she has like in Canada achieved the status of icon. Yeah, and I would say she's a rock icon. She's a LGBT icon. She's a great role model for kids. So I don't think the lack of success in the U.S. troubles her. Yeah. I think she's doing fine. Yeah, yeah, rock on, Miss Naked. Rock on. <laughs> All right. I was gonna, oh, also, you're a national treasure. There you go. Um, all right. That, that's it. Yeah, that's all yeah, we yeah, got. Congratulations. You made it, guys. <laughs> you made it to the end of this ranty, windy road of an episode that we come up with. I'm sure after you edit it together, it's going to sound a lot better than it did in my head. Well, I mean, usually that's the case, you know, I, I'm thinking, oh boy, we went off the deep end there. Then you put it together. I'm like, oh, actually it's pretty good. <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine, Marthas. Um <laughs> Light up with something. <laughs> so, uh, assuming, I know we're, we're going to be peppering in uh, these little um, short stacks, but what's yeah. the, what's the next big episode we're going to do? Because... I don't think you ever Let me confirm. I think I know what it is. I don't think you ever sent me the list going into the season. I I didn't, but I've got it. Oh, that's a different one. Uh, Hold on here. Well, Ted's fumbling like almost, almost. Give me a sec. Well, Ted's fumbling like a rank amateur. Um, I think. Oh, here we go. Oh, it's a good one, Brian. What's that? Our next episode, Rascal. 
Ooh. Yeah. We'll get a little hip hop next time. Next big long episode of Canada FM. Yeah, not the short stuff. So I don't know if that's going to be a two parter or not. I haven't quite looked to examine how many albums they have just yet. So I'm not sure if it's going to be a one parter or a two parter, but we'll have something. And uh, in the meantime, if uh, you have anything to say, you can follow us on uh, the old Instagram, Canada FM. Feel free to reach out because it seems like the only messages we get are clearly spams that are like saying we you sh- you we want to we want to ma- partner with you to manage a brand that clearly has nothing to do with what our brand is all about. <laughs> it's like women's bracelets or something. It's like what? Uh, so yeah, if you actually want to reach out and say something nice about the show or just offer up a suggestion, I will tell you to go fuck yourself. No, I'm just kidding. Um, or if you if you have a recommendation for an episode to do, or even just an off topic, if you want to just like say, hey, I'd like to hear you guys just wax windbaggily uh, for two hours on something, throw it at us. You never know. I should also let you know that we are going to be debuting it because the Rascals is going to take me a little time to put together. So it will be one of our short stacks next. And uh, we talked about it at the end of the Not By Choice episode. We are going to be visiting the Quebecois band, Sky. Yeah. So that'll be fun. Uh, one album down. Had a very good time with it. Yeah. And uh, the next two albums I'm not looking forward to as much as the first album. It was, that was the one I was nostalgic for. These other two, you know, we'll see how I feel uh, when we record it. Uh, also, FYI, Rascals have four studio albums and like an independent album, so it's five. So it's it it'll be, be it'll one. be a, then yeah. it'll be a onesie, a one and done, one and done, and take us two hours to record like tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, time to play us out, classified. It's Brian and Ted. Oh, I stepped on your toes. Go ahead. Uh, I, when you said it's Brian and Ted, now it's gonna go Teddy and Brian. Ah, you'll palindrome like back and forth. Well, thanks to the magic of editing. And this was Brian and Ted. Teddy and Brian. Yibbity bibbity. We'll see you next week. <laughs>